there's always editing to do, you know, always cutting the, cutting the tip off as it were. Oh, are we having a, a bris on the podcast this week? Is that what's happening now? Well, sometimes you get quiet and I got to chop the beginning <laughs> of the podcast off because there's nothing there. So, I mean, yeah. normal, normally uh, in that situation, it's cutting the end off. I don't want to think about the logistics of cutting the beginning off. I don't know. I'm, I'm doing fucking digital bits. Now you can't cut it out. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah no, this isn't here. That's fine. This stuff's good. This is the good stuff. It's gold, Jerry. Gold. All of it's gold. All of it's gold. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, get going then. Welcome back, listeners, to Dance Robot Dance. This is the 234th episode of our weekly podcast where we talk about all things nerdy and geeky from a decidedly not safe for work point of view. My name is Tim. I am going to be hosting this super episode coming to you from Toronto, Ontario. Uh, with me, I've got my partner in crime, Mark, from St. Catharines. What's up, everybody? <laughs> and we have uh, our favorite Jeopardy champion, Stephen, joining us from Atlanta. Say hello, Stephen. Hello again, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Oh, always a pleasure to be back. <laughs> so yeah let's go ahead and get into the the news there is a lot more this week than we had to talk about last week good i mean there means we have something to talk about this week <laughs> biggest one is i guess kind of a rumor or at least not a finalized deal but america's ass might be coming back to the mcu I've heard, yeah, Chris Evans might be coming back. So, I mean, like, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, so the story is uh, Deadline reporting that Chris Evans is in talks to return as Captain America, Steve Rogers, in the MCU in at least one project, not a Captain America-centric project. So it could be, you know, him appearing in another movie, presumably not as old Steve Rogers. I'm assuming this is so they can they can line them up for an Avengers movie in the next like five years probably. Like I like if you're gonna bring Cap back, there has to be an Avengers level threat, right? Like why would else would you do it? I mean, it could be. Or you're just doing a character bit, which I mean, fair. But at yeah. the same time, like if you're bringing him back after the the send off that we gave him, yeah. like fucking make it worthwhile. I want to see some like Kang the Conqueror horse shit. You know what I mean? Like you got to <laughs> bring him in for the big guns. So. Dr. Doom or whatever. Yeah, it could be that. It could be, you know, a time travel situation or something like that, like something said in the past where... Well, we're getting into multiverse stuff, too. So, like, it could be... It could be Hell Hydra Cap also, which sounds like something Chris Evans might be, like, into playing for, like, a couple scenes kind of thing. So, so I'd be on board for that. So, yeah, no no real details just yet, but uh, you can be sure once that's announced, we'll we'll let you know. I think that the funniest possible option, though, is that he's signing on to play Johnny Storm in a Fantastic Four film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a multiverse version of Johnny Storm. <laughs> or, or maybe he's a little older, so I have him play Reed Richards now. Like, he's, he's upgraded from Johnny Storm to Mr. Fantastic. I was thinking about Reed, but I was also thinking like, what if they just get him? Like him and Hugh Jackman are just get, are going to get signed on to do Deadpool. But they announced Deadpool three this week is actually happening properly now, right? Like I'm assuming yeah. that's on your docket. Yeah, I mean we'd already known that, but yeah, I know. But like right, that's official now and all that kind of stuff. Like they've been in there working on the script and whatnot. But like it would be it would be quite the coup for Ryan Reynolds if he got Cap to come back for his goofy R rated jaunt too. Yeah. I would like I'd pay to see it because like him responding to that amount of swearing would be <laughs> comedy gold. So yeah, it writes itself. <laughs> it does. And I, and the other thing with that was that they Feige came openly out and said, yes, it's set in the MCU. 
So it's yeah. not, you know, it's not going to be kind of its own thing in the pseudo X-Men universe like it was previously anymore. So I like just I want to see him interact with everybody. So yeah. like, let's get this fucking happening as soon as possible, because he needs to make like 19 cameos now. Cause he needs to show yeah. up everywhere. Yeah, I need to see Deadpool everywhere. I'm trying to think, what's the funniest possible Deadpool MCU interaction? Like who? Who is like the most stick up their ass MCU character? Doctor Strange. I, I think Doctor Strange. Yeah. Doctor Strange <laughs> is the winner. After seeing Doctor Strange and Thor and Loki and Ragnarok, I feel like that's the next logical step. Or Thanos, like Deadpool v Thanos. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm still 100 percent on board for any like Deadpool Spider Man interactions we get, just because oh, yeah. like that's a comics favorite. Like having the two of them, just like Spidey's complete indifference to deadpool <laughs> is just like legendary and i really want to see tom holland just be like i don't why am i even dealing with you like get the fuck away from me and stop talking to me and it's a That's, shipper's shipper's dream as well oh yeah well i mean they're both so handsome you know like, so pretty <laughs> under the masks so yeah see we are one day away as we're recording this from the uh release of the first episode of wandavision oh my god give me some marvel shit already I think they're doing tomorrow. Oh, yeah. They're dropping the first two episodes tomorrow. That's right. And then the media seems to have seen the first three episodes so far. So that's what all the reviews are based on. And the reviews kind of say pretty much what most people were thinking about it and what we've been thinking about it, which is that it's going to be pretty crazy. Which uh, kind of all perfect. over the place, and yeah. give me give me some weird Marvel shit. It's been too goddamn long. We've yeah, been, it's been out eighteen of the- months. I saw yeah. multiple reviewers refer to it as Marvel's version of Too Many Cooks. I'm yeah, so just like several people independently of one another. So yes, that's that sounds right up my alley. Yeah, I'm, I'm on board for Weird Marvel at this point. Like, let's get fucking strange kids. Yeah, for sure. On the under the Disney umbrella, but moving to uh, gaming, we got two interesting announcements this week. Well, one, they're both stemming out of a resurrection of Lucasfilm games, not yeah. LucasArts anymore, but Lucasfilm games, which uh, sort of got like a little sizzle reel and and yeah teaser. Uh, and then the day after that, we got an announcement that Bethesda is going to be producing an Indiana Jones game that is made by uh, Machine Games, who did the last couple of Wolfenstein games. Yeah, which are fucking awesome. And they, I mean, they've got the Nazi assets on, like, just ready to go. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, one company ready. that knows how to make a game about fucking up some Nazis. Oh, <laughs> boy. Yeah, Machine Games, the last two Wolfenstein games have just been, like, like the best first person shooters of the generation, basically like they're just so solid and brutally violent and a lot of fun. So I don't know if we're going to be getting like better than, uh, than what doom eternal. <sighs> they're different games, like totally yeah. different games. Yeah. Yeah. I like like doom eternal is fucking awesome too. Like the, everything that they're doing at machine games and id tech now is just like God's work when it comes to first person shooters. Just, everything's fantabulous. Yeah. Like when you get the chance to play Doom and uh, Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal and like Wolfenstein, do it. Like just fucking grab them. On, like when you get your PS5, it's yeah. Go <laughs> Nazi hunting. Speaking of which, <laughs> go Nazi hunting because it's time to go Nazi hunting. But yeah, yeah no, they, this Indiana Jones game sounds like if Bethesda's making it and like Machine Games is making it and it's Indiana Jones and they don't fuck it up too bad, this could be. Quite the game. I'm very excited for this. Just that trailer for it they dropped. Like this 22 yeah. second, like wordless yeah. trailer that's just like panning over this cluttered desk. 
I, I went yeah. through a whole range of emotions just watching oh, yeah. that. Like, I'm like, oh, Bethesda, they must, they've got a new game announcement. I wonder if it's Elder Scrolls Six or Starfield or something at last. And then it's like, yeah. wait a second, that looks like Henry Jones Sr.'s Grail Diary. And then I'm like, mm-hmm. that music sounds familiar. And then I'm like, yeah. that hat and whip look really, really familiar. Yeah. So it's just like and, then, and then the John Williams theme. Yeah, like yeah. this crescendo of emotion. It's just like yeah, o- yeah. Raiders, uh, the Raiders March pops in. And, I must have watched yeah. it 20 times. And like the game yeah. probably won't be out for five, just five or six years. But like, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> put it on your calendar now. Ever since I saw the uh, the Ghostbusters 2000, we did an episode about it, the 2009 game, I believe, where like yeah. the voice, like the, the facial was just close enough that I was like, just do Indiana Jones this way from now on. <laughs> like, just make them Uncharted games with good facial capture of young Harrison Ford, however you want to do that deep faking, like build that model, do it, but like, just get it done and fucking start making games. And it's taken an, a little bit longer than I thought it would have. But this also sounds like they're getting a bunch of star Wars properties, like moved around. Like EA has had its exclusive yeah. star Wars license yeah. revoked, which is, I mean, <laughs> as a gamer, good. Cause fuck EA. Yeah. But well, like, first, so the Indiana Jones thing, my thing there is Indiana Jones is actually a, franchise in which i played more i played probably five or six indiana jones games over the years because i played the two 2d adventure games last crusade and fate of atlantis i played i think two or three of lucas arts later like 3d yeah indiana jones games one was i think emperor's tomb and yep. i can't remember the other one but th- those are i mean they were just fucking like terrible tomb raider knockoffs yeah and had no real soul to yeah. them if they did a good Tomb Raider knockoff this time and had like Harrison Ford voice yeah. and like all that kind of stuff, like the Tomb Raider games this generation, I don't know if Steven's played them, but like the from the reboot through Rise and Shadow of the Tomb Raider have all been like some of my favorite games of the, I guess, the Xbox One PS4 generation. They're fantastic games. I yeah, just so my- got a PS4, so I have not played those yet, but I have a lot of yeah. stuff to do. If they do some kind of blend between Uncharted, Wolfenstein, and fucking Tomb Raider, like then. I'm on board, especially if it's got the Indiana Jones license on top of it. Like, that's just going to be solid. But then again, we could be staring at an Avengers situation where it's like, you know, you get those words out of your mouth. We got the license, but we didn't get the voice, like the cast. So, like, it's not quite Harrison Ford that we're playing as and like that kind of stuff starts happening. But yeah. I mean, they, they licensed the John Williams music, which means it sounds like they're going in whole hog. So, yeah, I think we're OK. But yeah. that I mean, did I, pop into my mind. Avengers last year was a <laughs> massive disappointment. So, I mean, I, I have a lot I like those uh, LucasArts Adventure Indiana Jones games. I have a yeah. lot of nostalgia for because they just grabbed the sort of adventurous kind of like booby traps and that sort of thing. All of that they captured really well, even though there wasn't like the fighting dynamics were pretty fucking weak. So like if they lean heavily into those games, but with like much better fighting dynamics and I would imagine dynamics, then then I would be 100 percent there. for that. Yeah. If Machine Games knows how to do anything, it's script like a nice 20 hour action game because yeah, I have no I have no concerns with that part being there, but it's mainly yeah. like, are they still going to do kind of like the booby traps and, and Tomb Raider? Oh, I'm and sure. The, and the puzzles and that kind of thing that those older games had. So I was more surprised that Bethesda was the one who got it and it wasn't somebody like Crystal Dynamics who did the Tomb Raider games or like mm-hmm. they pulled Naughty Dog and like who did Uncharted to like well, they, or at least pulled people from to, those. Yeah, but teams. they wouldn't want to s- compete against themselves, right? Yeah, but if you're going to a different company and getting hired by Lucasfilm from Sony, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I can understand why they wouldn't go to those companies yes, to, yes, to make yeah. those gains. But yeah, pull those people for sure mm-hmm. if you can. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. So the other big thing is that uh, they're starting to announce non EA Star Wars games as well. So the first one is a huge open world Star Wars game that is being done by Ubisoft. So Canadian Star Wars game. Maybe. I mean, they're a European company. Yeah. But like I think their headquarters is Paris, but they also do have studios. offices in uh, Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver, actually. Yeah. As does EA, though. EA's Toronto office is just in Waterloo instead of in Toronto proper. Mm-hmm. But actually, I think the other guys are, I think EA is actually in Oakville, but whatever. I mean, it's all GTA-ish yeah. at this point. But. Yeah. So, I mean, given what some of the things that EA has done with that license in recent years, there's a lot of people that are pretty excited about non-EA Star Wars games. I mean, the two last two games they put out were uh, Fallen Order and Squadrons, both Squadrons, of which I liked. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Squadrons could have used a little bit more depth because it wasn't a particularly long or involved game, but mm. it was a good like basis for a sequel. And then fallen order was awesome and apparently just got some like pretty great patching for next gen so Mm -hmm. it's running 60 frames like at 4k on the next gen systems or the new systems i guess (laughs) next gen sounds funny when they're well paper available at least to the public some people have them (laughs) i've seen them on my psn list popping up here and there so yeah see people are gonna have to listen to every bit of news about the amazon lord of the ring series that comes out (laughs) when it finally releases uh so they find amazon after having been really hush hush about things finally uh gave a synopsis like they've sort of given little bits and pieces about what the series is going to be about and people have kind of made guesses based on that but now we have like a proper synopsis from them so i'm just going to read it Amazon Studios' forthcoming series brings to screens for the very first time the heroic legends of the fabled Second Age, capital S, capital A, of Middle-Earth's history. This epic drama is set thousands of years before the events of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and will take viewers back to an era in which great powers were forged, kingdoms rose to glory and fell to ruin, unlikely heroes were tested, Hope hung by the finest of threads and the greatest villain that ever flowed from Tolkien's pen threatened to cover all the world in darkness. I don't think they actually are bringing back Morgoth, but... I thought they meant Alfred. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) No. I hate it. Uh, Beginning in a time of relative peace, the series follows an ensemble cast of characters, both familiar and new, as they confront the long-feared re-emergence of evil to Middle-earth, from the darkest depths of the Misty Mountains to the majestic forests of the elf capital of Linden to the breathtaking island kingdom of Numenor to the furthest reaches of the map, these kingdoms and characters will carve out legacies that live on long after they are gone. This, as you might imagine, has caused a lot of speculation in Tolkien circles as to kind of the vibe they're going for, for with this series. It confirmed a lot of things. I mean, we already knew it was going to be set in the Second Age, but they've confirmed some of the locations that it will be centered around now. And some of them are very distant on the map, which is giving people kind of a Game of Thrones theme or, you know, feeling to it. Like we're going to have shit taking place like all the fucking all over this map. And, you know, it might end up start out being kind of very disparate. So I don't know. I mean, the synopsis is basically this Second Age Lord of the Rings series will feature things that happened in the Second Age of Middle Earth. So... Do I have to watch this? You, oh, you're going to have to watch this. <laughs> Fuck. God damn it. All right. Uh, we'll see how that works out. I don't know. Steven, our other Lord of the Rings nerd, what do you think? I mean, it's it's pretty much like like you said, Tim, it's kind of confirming what everybody was kind of assuming, that it's going to kind of have that Game of thrones feel. You know, you don't throw a billion dollars at, at a property and not model it off of something that's already been successful. 
uh, you know, second age, you know, like, like Numenor, there's going to be some political stuff and there's presumably going to be like some religion stuff, like kind of like there was with Melisandre in Game of Thrones. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like you can kind of see like the, the coloring book that they're coloring in and the numbers that they're connecting. Uh, it's just a matter of like how they're going to populate all that detail. Most people are now are like waiting for sort of cast of characters, right? Because yeah, that will really like kind of tell us all these actors and actresses. Yeah. Cause then, you yeah. know, assuming that they're not going a hundred percent off book, that'll at least be able to like, okay, like it's taking place during the reign of this King or, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, okay. Like we've got a casting announcement for Ellen deal or something like that. So that'll, that'll help yeah. you know, narrow things down a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Bad news all around at DC this week or Warner, I guess I should say. Uh, first off, the Green o- I don't know. This act- I actually consider good news. The Green Arrow and the Canaries spinoff from Arrow is not getting greenlit, which is good because yeah. the backdoor pilot episode of that was horrible. I didn't hear anything good about it. So, And I mean, the, those three characters are just totally convoluted like backstories that not good characters for you to just drop into their own series because they're just carrying so much fucking baggage in it like you're not going to get any new viewers the only thing you're going to get is a fraction of the people that watched arrow to all the way to the end and that's not enough to sustain a series right now no no and yeah that i i mean i didn't have any interest in that at all even when they announced it i was like why are we like, what's the point of that? But anyway, yeah, good, I guess. Yeah. When does Superman start? Uh, I feel like you're going to want me to watch that. So I need to like, I need to be aware when it starts. I mean, so I'll that definitely I can... start watching it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When, um, right. When it comes out. Um, and well, then Star Trek's done now. So like, oh, Jesus, you, do you want to talk about <laughs> discovery Mark? I was debating, like, do we do an episode or oh, like, do God. we just talk about it? Because like, know if I can rewatch that season, man. I don't know if I want to rewatch that season, man. <laughs> so, like, Steven, are you watching Discovery? I am not. Uh, I don't have a CBS All Access subscription yet. I'm going to get it eventually, but like, I'd rather just rewatch Deep Space Nine or The Next Generation. Yeah, like, buddy. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll watch, buddy. I'll watch, like, I'll watch the Picard series at some point. Don't bother. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like, I mean, yeah. Patrick Stewart's great in it. Yeah, but like. The rest of it's fucking awful. So <laughs> like, I can just watch the best of both worlds and Chain of Command again, and like the same amount. Yeah, of man. Time. So yeah. you know, we should do like Red Letter Media did after they were depressed about uh, Picard, and just do like we, we they went back and started doing like top ten epi- top ten TNG episodes. Yeah, hell yeah, I'll give you a list yeah, just to clear out the taste. <laughs> yeah, just to get the taste of Picard out of their mouths. They did a couple episodes <laughs> like that. They were like their best rated like their most viewed videos like almost of all time i'll give you a top point. voyager episodes if you need me to like <laughs> i i mean i could do a top 10 voyager episodes i think for voyager my my list would be more, more like top 10 why did this happen episodes <laughs> i'm with you steven i love voyager i, I like voyager but like there. like the highs of voyager are really really good it's just hard to yeah. do 26 episodes worth of highs this season yeah yeah <laughs> i mean you get like three or four really good episodes per season and the rest are kind of like like okay whoa. that was fine like if the board yeah. show up, like that's good. If time travel is involved, that's good. That's, yeah, that's kind of like my general rule of Voyager. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can agree with that. Uh, yeah, Discovery. Yeah, their finale was this week, and my review is get new writers. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. I'm like hard it's, agree. I mean, they have a fucking great cast. They have yep. it, the, the fucking show looks beautiful. Just yep. get 
better writers. Oh, and it's like three years of this shit too. You know what I mean? Like that's where like it gets me. I'm like, you, somebody should have been able to figure this out in three years. Like get the show like sorted by now. But like it's still just it's still just a mess. <laughs> that that is like for better and for worse. And I love I love a lot of what the guy's done. But when you hire Brian Fuller to show run like a new series, that's kind of what you're signing up for these days. He's got so much <laughs> on his plate. I like to blame uh, Alex Kurtzman, who's actually oh, yeah. running the show. Yeah, like that's just like the hackiest the- hack that was ever yeah. hacked in Hollywood. Like, oh <laughs> yeah, like my Brian God. Fuller, like oh Hannibal, Deep Space Nine, like oh my God, yeah, it'll be great. And then like. He he leaves the show in pre-production, which he inevitably does, and then it gets yep. it off to Kurtzman. It's just like, ah, excitement zapped. Speaking of which, American Gods re came back this yeah, week. Which would yeah, which <laughs> I brought that up before. <laughs> I just finished watching the first episode of the season because I did watch all the way through season two. Did you really? Still had, uh. It still had some like fantastic visuals and some great moments. Um, yeah, but it just didn't hang together as well as the first yeah. season did. And the third season seems to be of like ignoring a lot of or uh, the the second season and also has already done a couple of things that sort of just significantly put it off on a different direction, point in a different direction than the second season did. So I have some hope for the third season, although, I mean, it's still, you know, same Brian Fuller started this thing and then he's fucking well off from it now and then there were the whole thing with uh orlando orlando jones orlando jones yeah and, and jillian anderson is no longer involved with it yeah i was looking at the cast because i saw some announcements about Christmas season three. Not either, and... yeah so i mean like the cast is completely different i don't like the only person i recognized was the dude who plays shadow like i didn't even see uh odin's back is he back ian Mc- yeah ian mcshane is back yeah and uh and the kid that plays and like the wife is back like the little cutie that plays his wife right wow is she not are back you, either? Well, holy shit! Are you gonna watch it? Do, or you want me no, to <laughs> I don't care. I'm never watching. I've, I've read the book. I'm not watching the series. After that first season, there's no way. One of the subplots in the first episode is is the wife trying to resurrect the leprechaun who dies at the end of season two. Okay, yeah. And she tries to do it by um, taking the coin out of herself, which is the only thing that's keeping her alive, and putting it in his hand. And it doesn't work. She falls onto the ground and just crumbles to dust and he does not come back to life so i don't know if that'll stick but as of right now she's off the table well that's uh then i'm never going back to that show because like <laughs> whatever that's fine <laughs> i read the book the book's excellent i just i like, don't know off, that show. Book. yeah the book's fantastic i wish you'd go back to that world actually at some point and like do a sequel like not like, it doesn't have to be like a sequel sequel but just like well he did, play show, in that he did do um a sequel starring mr nancy or mr. yeah nancy the nancy boys kind of a spin-off. yeah 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 maybe you should do another one i don't know i read that that was excellent too so i mean i like this world i just wish the show had like come together a little better yeah like I that guess. that was one like you know not like i'm not gonna bag on folder for everything because like this the network did like slash their budget midway through season one so like the yeah. finale of season one was supposed to have like two episodes after it yeah. So and the, like that was the cause. Like that started the big rift, and then Fuller's gone, and then you get one showrunner, and then you get another showrunner, and then Neil Gaiman steps in and starts like doing some like showrunning ish duties, yeah. and like it's it's just been a great big mess, which is unfortunate yeah. because the source material is so good and lends itself so well to an adaptation. I feel like, but yeah, you know, absolutely. Like, the networks. What are you gonna do? Yeah, get rid of them. I guess <laughs> I don't know what else. What are you gonna do? Uh, that's everything I have. Did I miss anything, guys? Uh, not that I can remember this week. 
this week has been kind of a blur, but right. yeah. I can move on to our Geek of the Week, which is a segment where each of us recounts the nerdiest thing we've done in the past week or so. Uh, so let's start with our special guest, Stephen. What's your Geek of the Week? Oh, the nerdiest thing I've done this past week is we've reached the point in quarantine where we're breaking out like the obscure card games and board games. Uh, and I've gotten really into Sabacc, which is the, uh, oh, for wow. those of you who have seen Solo and are into Star Wars, it's the card game that Han wins the Millennium Falcon from Lando while playing. Mm-hmm. And they they sell, you know, a deck with instructions uh, based on the ones in the movie at uh, Galaxy's Edge. And we bought one, you know, more than a year ago, back when going to Disney regularly was a thing that we could do. Uh, <laughs> but we never really broke it out until a couple of weeks ago because the rules looked complicated when I first glanced at them. But once I started playing, they're really pretty basic. It's just like a combination of poker, blackjack, and gin rummy. And I've just been like trying to teach myself this game and like because I have nothing else to do, like figure out like, okay, like what constitutes a good hand in this game? Like, you know, it's one like, you know, how people like know the odds of being dealt, you know, a pair or two pair in, in Texas Hold'em or something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out like, okay, like what is like a good a good hand to like stay or, or hit on in this game essentially. I'm trying to like codify rules for myself, like you know, always double down on on eleven or uh, always stand on seventeen in blackjack. So I've just been like you know playing with my wife and like dealing hands to myself and my downtime when I have nothing else to do and just like trying to become like the best in the world at this card game that nobody really knows exists. And I guess like <laughs> by virtue of owning a deck, I'm already among the best in the world at it. But now I'm like really trying to get into the nitty gritty of it. So you know, it's fun. Like, I, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I'm having a good time. I've got a little spreadsheet that I keep with, like, the results of every hand that I deal to myself. So, you know, it's something to keep my brain occupied. You'll be the world's foremost Sabak expert before long, I'm sure. Yeah, once Galaxy's Edge opens again, I'll just find myself a little table and start hustling. <laughs> I think Disney probably uh, frowns on that. Probably frowns on that. I should probably clear that with my Disney-employed wife before I do. Yeah, I was going to say, especially uh, considering your wife's your wife's job. Yeah, I mean, there's that. But like, what you should be doing is asking when they're opening the Disney-themed casino like on that planet in Last Jedi that I seem to remember happening. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. The, the Canto Bite Casino. Canto Bite. Eventually, I mean, eventually they're going to need Sabat like card dealers for their Disney theme casino. And you are already well ahead of the curve, Steven. So oh, no, like, I'm be the pit boss. I'm, I'm, yeah, exactly. This is just training for a future job. Exactly. I was just saying, I'm like, whatever, whatever you're doing now is just like, it's horseshit until like they open the Disney <laughs> yeah, or like they open the Star Wars casino where you can finally ascend to your, your crew. <laughs> maybe what I've been training for. Yeah. Maybe there'll be a Sabacc parlor in uh, Galactic Star Cruiser. Hey, if they the, need a guy. The Star Wars, the Star <laughs> the Wars role-playing hotel that you could... Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> so you could get made up and then deal Sabat on top of it. That'd be like the <laughs> nerdiest thing you've... That's go. the best I'll job be, ever. I'll be like a Mon, a Mon Calamari Sabat dealer. Great. <laughs> That's I'll get perfect. To it. It'll be amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> we, need to ha- we need to make this happen. This is fantastic. <laughs> uh, Mark, how are you? What's your Geek of the Week? I platinum goes to Tsushima this week. So it was definitely, yeah, it was fantastic, fantastic game. Uh, I highly recommend anybody who has the means to pick it up on whatever PlayStation you have available to you do do so. It is, it's like playing a Kurosawa movie and it was fantastic many, for that. How many hours did it take for you to platinum? Uh, about 50, between 50 and 60, probably. It's, it was a solid like chunk of time to get through it. I thought it was going to be a little bit longer than that, but it wasn't. It was. It didn't quite overstay its welcome for me. He was getting, it almost got there at the end, but like it, it kind of resolved itself 
nicely at the end. So story's good. Gameplay, like the I the sword play in that game is just fantastic. So I highly recommend Ghost of Tsushima to anybody who is looking for something to play. I mean, you got lots of fucking time right now. So and it was on sale last time I checked. So if you have a PS4 slash five, go kill Mongol hordes. I, my brother just got a PS5 and he uh, gifted me his PS4. So, um, and that one, that one's been on my list ever since. Like, I saw the artwork and started listening. Oh to my god! Cards. It's uh, like I've just like as soon as I get a PS4, I have to get that game. And now that I've got one, I'm out of excuses. Yeah, the art direction and like music and all, like the just like the the visual style of the game, the style of the game. Period is just like it's so seamless. Mm-hmm. I had such a good time. Like with everything and like there is like for me particularly because like i'm a pen and ink illustrator kind of like traditional when i do when i do work traditionally there's like legends scene cut scenes where it's like these beautiful like uh sumi ink drawings kind of get mm-hmm. let out onto the page as they tell you the legend of these moves you're learning or these guys you're fighting or whatever and it's like on brown paper with black ink and stuff, and it comes on. There's these beautiful illustrations. So, like, I was actually looking for the art book. Apparently, it's available. I got to go find a chapters or something like that that has it and grab it because it looks like I just want these pictures to look at again. But yeah, the the, the art direction, everything in this game is fantastic. Like, I, I know it, it lost Game of the Year at the Game Awards to Last of Us Two, which I guess is deserved because I haven't played like through Last of Us Two yet. It's my next. It's the next on my shame pile, basically. <laughs> Ghost of Tsushima won the Player's Choice Award. So, like, the the voted thing from the, the game, like, the people who watch the Game Awards, yeah. that's the one that won Game of the Year. So People's Champion. It's kind of the player. Yeah, it's the People's Champion, basically. Like it's the Player's <laughs> Choice this year was Ghost of Tsushima. Like, it doesn't do anything, like, completely revolutionary in the open world, like, collect-a-thon thing, but it's just so slick, and, like, you want to be in that world because it's just very, like, it's very cool, like, representation of feudal japan and stuff so not accurate but like cool nice my geek of the week i spent a good chunk of time with my vinyl collection uh this week i there was kind of while i was taking down uh christmas decorations over the weekend i uh listened to vinyl like on my or i should say played like through my grandparents old hi-fi which is like i don't know it's got to be 50 if not six no probably closer to 60 years old and has like a beautiful warm sound. So I just like had a few drinks. Eventually I ended up just like once I had, you know, I was kind of like done with decorations. It was just, I just sat in the dark and with a drink and just listened to the entirety of funeral of arcade fire funeral. Nice. And yeah. So, and then I had like a couple of vampire weekend albums going and stuff too. So just music appreciation. Nice. I finally got Ohms on vinyl, the, like the last Deftones record. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the local shop had it, and I was like, they put it on Facebook, and I was like, hold it, I'm coming right now. Curbside <laughs> pickup. I'll just grab it now. I'm just gonna get it. Yeah. So that sounded really good, actually. Like it was a nice pressing of it. So nice. it's always nice when you get them, and they're not like just garbage digital like dumps. Yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. Like they're actually like they've taken the time to properly master it for vinyl and shit. They're properly mastered for the record and stuff. Yeah. So that's always nice, especially usually uh, some of these, like the new stuff, cause it gets so like compressed for CD, like the yeah. like loudness war stuff. It's always nice kind of here. Sometimes the vinyl mixes are a little more, more dynamic range, like more dynamic and stuff. So it's always nice getting the vinyl rip eventually and kind of like, Oh, this is what this would sound like if they didn't like just squash the fucking shit out of it <laughs> in pro tools as they export or whatever. So yeah. 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 Uh, all right. Well, then we can move on to our meat of the episode. 
Kansas farm boy meat. Yeah, and it's pretty apparent too in some shots. I was noticing on the 4K rip today. Really? So you notice a little yeah. prominent package. He's, he's got some like fucking like camel toe going on or whatever. What is it? Moose knuckle. Moose knuckle is the one I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dividing that sack right down the middle. Yeah, he's got some moose knuckle going on in a couple shots here. Was... So since Mark got to do his whole Batman movie series and subject, and I'm gonna to... regret it. I'm gonna regret it in a couple in a couple episodes too. Just quest for Well, three three is where I I start. I I fall off hard by three. So yeah, he subjected me to a a mix of great and awful Batman movies. I thought yeah. it was my turn to do the same with the character that got me into comics, Big Blue Superman. Uh, so over the next few months, we'll be kind of doing the same thing. We'll be going through all the Christopher Reeve Superman movies and Superman Returns, Man of Steel. And I think maybe we'll throw in an animated movie in there for good measure, like we did with Batman, uh, maybe just as a palate cleanser or something. Sure. Yeah. I don't know what <laughs> animated like movie of his we could do that would be. There's a number, you, uh, I mean, yeah, there's a number been, of them. I've been, I've been and, like, they got that whole DC animated spinoff section, which I haven't watched any of, but I hear is very, very good. At least some of them some, are very good. Some of them are good. Some spotty. of them are... Yeah, yeah it's it's very spotty. I generally I mean, watch them all. Did they all Star Superman one a while ago? They did. That one was pretty good. It was pretty good. It's a little cut down from the comic version, but it is yeah. worth like checking out for sure. Uh, even Superman vs. the Elite was pretty good animated. I like I liked that one. Yeah. I just I downloaded... Batman and the Dragon, or whatever it is, the one, the newest one. I haven't watched it yet, though. I, I watched them all. I just, yeah. I'm trying to think what Superman would we do to go back to the animated series and just watch like the pilot or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. I have to sit down and figure out. But there's there's options. Yeah, I mean, they, it's because they just didn't do the big. They didn't have a theatrical release the way like Batman had Mask of the Phantasm. Yeah. So, and what was the other one we did? Oh, we did World's Finest, so we could get some Superman in there yeah. for you. Yeah. That was why I did that for you, Tim. So you get some like good <laughs> Superman in there. And then, and then we did Batman v Superman already, so we don't have to do that again. <laughs> I was gonna, actually, I was going to ask her, like, oh, are we going <laughs> to no. do fucking Batman v Superman again? Because, like, I'm quitting the podcast. We're not reviewing that for a third time. Yeah, I don't even want to do, like, we're not doing Justice League either, just so we're clear. We'll wait till the Snyder Cut comes out, and then we'll review that piece of shit. So. <laughs> I have a Batman v Superman story that I suppose I can tell now that my wife doesn't work for a Warner Brothers affiliate company, but I'll tell, I'll tell it off, off mic. There you go. Fair. We'll wait till the end of the episode. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, we're starting off with the 1978 Superman the movie, directed by Richard Donner, supervised, I guess, not necessarily produced by Alexander and Ilya Salkind, who are the ones that had the rights for it. Written by, well, the original story was written by Mario Puzo, and then several other people worked on the screenplay for it. Starring Christopher Reeve as Superman, and then Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor, and Margot Kidder as Lois Lane, and a whole host of other folks. As well. Come on, we got to say Marlon Brando as Jor-El. build Marlon Brando as Jor-El. Top yeah. build, yeah. And Terrence yeah, Stamp is there as Zod right at the top. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, absolute, absolute classic. So, but first I want to kind of get, well, first... Before we even get into the movie at all, I know that uh, our listeners are intimately familiar with Mark and my opinion on comic book movies and stuff in general. But uh, I don't think they've ever really heard from Steven on your sort of history with comics and you know major comic book characters and that sort of thing. So maybe give us the cliff notes of your experience with comic books and comic book media. So the cliff notes version is probably like I got into it watching 
animated TV shows. The first one I really remember watching is the animated X-Men TV show, you know, Saturday morning cartoon, oh, yeah. all that. Yep. Uh, yep. Oh, yeah. It's on a Disney Plus now, I believe. Uh, yeah, it is, I actually. I watched a little bit of, like, Batman the Animated Series, but, like, X-Men was the first one that I saw, so I kind of, like, imprinted as, as a Marvel guy just, like, just from that. Uh, and then, like, always appreciated DC, but then, like, as, you know, the years went by and, like, Marvel got more accessible with something like Marvel Unlimited. Like, it was so much easier to, like, dive into the back catalog and all these, like, you know, the classic runs of, like, you know, Avengers and Fantastic Four and, and you know, like, Chris Claremont X-Men and, like, all of these, like, you know, not even the big ones, but just, like, obscure ones, like, minor characters that I had heard, like, oh, X-Factor is supposed to be really good. I'll give that a look. Uh, yeah. So just through, like, ease of access, I've become, like, more of, I guess, suppose, like, if you have to pick one, I'm a Marvel guy, but like, I still, like, I, you know, saw the Superman movies growing up. I've, you know, all the Batman movies. Like, I distinctly remember going to see, like, Batman Forever and Batman Returns in the theaters. Yeah. You know, like, I still go see all the DCEU and, and related ones. And I, I watched, like, all the Arrowverse shows on, on the CW. Do you still watch those shows? Because I'm, like, making you better than me at this I point. I still so. watch Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, Legends, oh, of Tomorrow I mean, Legends of Tomorrow is still Legends a lot is the of best. Yeah. The rest of them, like. Even I've fallen behind on them now. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I, I, I never got through Arrow. I gave up on Flash once they started getting too serious, much like Arrow did. Uh, yeah. you know, like those, those shows are at their best when they're like light and goofy and fun. And Legends is like really the one that kind of follows that ethos more than any of the other ones. The Flash did in his first season, but it quickly got, you know, very melodramatic. But yeah. Legends yeah. is still just like goofy and lighthearted. It's like live action <laughs> Teen Titans Go, which is like the highest praise I can give something. <laughs> so like I'm I'm equal opportunity comic books like you know I I love the genre I love like what you can do with those characters and the different ways you can like update them from age to age and like how they take on different meaning as time goes by like they are really kind of like we don't make up new myths like you know the Odyssey or the Iliad or you know like there's no like modern day Orpheus and Eurydice myth but we do have like superheroes like these are kind of like the 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 characters that we use to like tell stories and explain the world and like you can track how times have changed based on how, like how our treatment of superheroes is a product of change. Uh, so they're just, they're not just entertaining, but they're also kind of interesting to me on that, like, you know, that larger sociological level. So, I mean, I can clearly go deep on superheroes and, you know, chat about them <laughs> to, to your heart's content, but uh, superheroes good. I like <laughs> some of them. <laughs> I like it. All right. Well, first off, I mean, this is a movie that came out before any of us were born. Uh, so let's go to Mark first. Do you remember your first time seeing Superman the movie? No, I have no clear recollection of my first time seeing it. I've seen it five million times. <laughs> I have no recollection of seeing it. I'm sure it was on beta or like on TV or yeah. something the first time I saw it. Like I, I have no actual memory of the first time I saw it and like what version it was or anything like that. Like I know I saw it multiple times throughout my childhood and that's about it it was just always there that superman movie was always there and i kind of like it's weird watching it again because i was like i haven't watched this in a, in a while probably since the 4k first came out i think like a couple years ago and i was like oh yeah this is still like the best fucking movie <laughs> like it's still really really good and it's, a lot of that's probably rose tinted glasses basically like just nostalgia yeah. like base nostalgia because that's what this movie is for me it's like it fits right in with like raiders of the lost ark and like jaws and shit like that where it's just like that era of cinema part of your DNA kind of thing. and like on top of that being a Superman movie and like really being the only superhero movie we had for that was worth a shit, you know, until 1989. Until the end of the 80s, yeah. yeah. So 
Yeah. Yeah, for me, I, I also do not remember exactly my first time, but I we did not own this movie growing up in my house. Um, so it was definitely on TV and I wouldn't yeah. have seen it in theaters. So it was d- definitely would have been on TV. This wasn't a movie that was on TV. Have you seen it in theaters? No, uh, no, I don't think I have. I know it's come back into theaters once or twice. Yeah, I saw a 70 millimeter print of it like 10 years ago or something like that in the city. And it was just like it was it was like seeing it in 4K for the first time. It was like a revelation. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, like this is how poppy and colorful this is supposed to be. Yeah. Oh, OK, because like VHS and DVD don't do that color accuracy any yeah. justice whatsoever. So yeah. it was crazy seeing it on the bigger, bigger, like the big screen, then it being 70 millimeter, which is just yeah. crazy detail. And then eventually, like, I guess uh, early 2000s, I finally got like the DVD box out of all four of the movies. And I've watched the first couple over and over on that uh, for years since then. Stephen, how about you? Do you remember your first interaction with this piece of media? No, I really don't. And like, to be honest, I don't know if I'd ever like sat down and actively watched it until I watched it the other day. Like it was something that was just like, I know I've seen it and I know I've just like kind of absorbed it over time, kind of through like pop cultural osmosis. But it was mm-hmm. one of those things that was just like always there. Like you turn on the TV and like, oh, Superman's on. Like, you know, let's 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 sit down and watch it. But yeah. I like it was never one that like we had laying around the house. It was just kind of like always there in the ether. And I was just like, you know, of course, you know, the Christopher Reeve Superman, like everybody knows the Christopher Reeve Superman. Yeah. But I, it was never one that like I sat down and like ran the VHS, you know, like just like ran it out through overwatching it. Yeah, no, it's it's totally one of those one of those ones that has just become part of the base level pop culture knowledge yeah. for our generation, for sure. Yeah, like, absolutely. You, you just know it whether you know why you know it or not. So but yeah. last night was the first time I've watched it in a long time and certainly the first time I've watched it since I like with like the intention of like, this is what I'm doing for the next two hours and 23 minutes. I'm <laughs> sitting here and I'm watching this, the 1978 Superman, the movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, absolutely. I was the same. I, it's probably been 10 years since I've watched it just because there's been so much other, you know, new superhero stuff to watch the last, you know, the last decade or so. So I've fallen off on kind of rewatching some of those classics. Um, but like in the two thousands, especially I'd know that I watched, uh, watched this a lot. Okay, so I'm going to jump all this. Who wants to tell me the plot of Superman the movie? I mean, there's like, it, this one's pretty easy. So, like, I have no problem doing it. But, like, if Steven wants to take a shot at no, running us through no, the plot. No, you take it away. You're, you're, you're the Superman guy amongst us. I wouldn't want to steal your thunder. Well, I, well Tim's, I'm a Batman. I'm a, yeah, I'm the, I'm the Batman slash Marvel zombie of the pair of us, actually. Like, I'm the, I, like, you and I, as Marvel zombies, like, we're probably closer than Tim and I are because Tim doesn't read much Marvel stuff. And, likes this DC stuff and I'm generally in DC I'm like I'm a bat guy like I just want Batman stuff I don't need anything else like Superman I'm like great he's Batman's BFF I don't need to know anything else about him <laughs> except for that he's Batman's friend it's all I care about but you know this movie is like I grew up in this movie so like yeah I know this movie like the back of my hand so if we're gonna start we start like way flashback to uh, a newspaper clipping or something like that or like a comic book opening of Action Comics number one. Mm-hmm. There's like a voiceover telling us that like of what the Daily Planet was, which is a weird. I never really thought about how weird it is that we start on the Daily Planet thing <laughs> and we don't go back to the Daily Planet for like three hours. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like it's like it's two weeks later by the time we get back to the Daily Planet. So we open on the Daily Planet that little bit. And then we're quickly off to fucking Marlon Brando's Krypton. We'll call it Krypton for the first little bit. 
Because he's Marlon Brando, he gets to call it whatever the fuck he wants to call it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you ever hear the stories about like him on set where he's like, why don't we replace me and I'll just do a voiceover, but replace me with a suitcase because we don't know. They're aliens, right? Yeah, they well, can be anything. So I just put a suitcase. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's, he was, he, I mean, Marlon Brando is notoriously like, I mean, he's an amazing actor, but like also notoriously fucking difficult lazy. And difficult. Yeah, like, difficult I, I guarantee yeah. the first time that he had ever encountered the name Krypton was when he was reading it off of the cue card on like the one tape oh, he did of those <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And yet, I don't feel like he phones in this performance. I feel no, like he good. actually no, gives like, us a solid performance. Like, he shows you, up. That's why you pay Marlon Brando. Because yeah. even when he's phoning it in, like, he's still got, like, the Marlon Brando gravitas that is just... Yeah, oh, yeah, the yeah. ...performance that he gives, at least up until this point. Uh, they they fell off later, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is, like, peak, like, Brando's gonna give it to you no matter what kind of era, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, you're getting, you're getting good Brando at this point no matter what. So Brando has a nice screaming match with uh, Terrence Stamp who we'll get to talk about in a couple weeks. <laughs> Which is so weird, because, like, this is not an era where you would tease shit that's going to happen in a future movie. <laughs> well, it's so weird, because it's like Marvel stole everything from this movie, including the, like... <laughs> Setting up shit for the oh next, my, like, three every movies. Every franchise ripped stuff off from this movie, whether... Oh, my, yeah, absolutely. Not, oh, like, yeah, the production yeah. of this movie is is insane. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 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 Insane. Um, absolutely. And, like, I mean, like, you, you can look to, like, you know, like Rise of Skywalker and see the DNA of like, oh no, we fired the director of Superman 1 and 2 75% of the way through. Quick, let's pivot and tell a completely different <laughs> yep. story. In the- oh my <laughs> god, 100%, Stephen. Like, 100%. For 25 years, it was release the Donner Cut, release the Donner Cut, and now it's release yeah. the Snyder Cut, release the, like, every, everything goes back to Superman. Like, it, yeah, it, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But anyway, plot summary, we were still Kirk on Krypton. Yeah. So Ron Krypton, which like I just love because it's just yeah you're right he read it off the cue card and was like nobody either nobody had the balls to say anything to him or somebody did and he was like fuck you Krypton it's Krypton now but, but he says it with such conviction that like yeah. it makes me think that the entire world all of Earth has just been pronouncing Krypton wrong all these exactly years exactly what I thought and it's the, like, well, I guess I'm wrong Marlon Brando yeah. says it like this therefore it is like. Clark heard it wrong from the recording and it's actually Krypton and that we just all have it wrong forever. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, whatever, but either way, he, so they're on Krypton and they send uh, Zod and Ursa and uh, I can remember the Nan, other guy's name. Non. Because I always want to call her Feora and that trips me up about Non's yeah, name. She's the, the old name of the, the, yeah. of the female uh, yeah. Phantom Zone villain. Either way, so they, they get rid of those three into the Phantom Zone, uh, which is still a special effect, and we're going to talk a lot about special effects, I'm assuming, in this movie. But like, it's still like one of my favorite, from my childhood visual effects, that mirror, like the flipping mirror and shit. I just love that fucking shot. Yeah. So they're off, but the Council still, just a, like the Council of Krypton, as we're going to fucking find out every time we meet them in our little oh, cinematic is. odyssey, are all a bunch of fucking idiots. <laughs> so every time, like every time we do this bit, we're going to see how big a bunch of fucking morons the console of Krypton are in every multiverse iteration. It happens every time. So they decide, they tell Jarrell that he's not allowed to leave and him and Lara better be on the planet when it explodes because, or else, I guess. So he concedes this, but sends his son, his only son, Kal-El, in the, the, my favorite, we're going to talk a lot about Jesus too in this because, oh my God. <laughs> how can you not? <laughs> how can you not? He sends his only son to Earth. So Superman's on his way, three-year journey in a little spiky pod that doesn't look like it's sealed itself properly as it went out there. Three years, but, you know. and then they say it's thousands of years later. 
Well, it's three years for him guy. in the pod, yeah. but like the actual, like thousands of years, rel- like relative near yeah. light speed or whatever, I guess. Yeah. Which makes no sense. Wouldn't the Kryptonians have faster than light travel? Come on, DC guys, get your <laughs> shit together. Star Trek came out already. We have faster than light shit. And anyway, yeah. So Clark, then yeah. So we crash land this Christmas ornament because it always looks like the st- the top star of a christmas tree or something like that to this me. version especially does yeah. yeah it's the star of um, i mean <laughs> absolutely right and then it, 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 exactly there's so much christ allegory in this movie it's fucking nuts it, <laughs> you don't realize it till you're older but like when you're sitting down watching it now you're like oh this is just the bible i get it. i get it yeah i understand <laughs> <laughs> so they crash land and uh we see some superman dinky as he comes out of the, the thing <laughs> And uh, the truck almost falls on him, but he lifts the truck because Silver Age Superman like had his powers as a, a child, yeah. which really makes me question how difficult of a raising this would have been. Like, how do you discipline <laughs> a child that can lift a truck at three years old? I don't. It's <laughs> he terrifying. Didn't need to. He's, he's Clark Kent. He's, he's so perfect. good. He's yeah. so good. Yeah. Either way, uh, we flash forward to Clark Kent at around probably 18, 17, 18 years old, where he's being teased mercilessly by the other jocks in Smallville High and he's hitting on Lana Lang, who's not an Ed O'Toole yet. We'll get <laughs> there in a couple be, movies. Yeah. But she will be eventually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so he... Yeah, they ruin... I don't know what the fuck. He's like the bag boy or whatever for the football team. So they ruin all his shit. And then they're like, we're, we're going to play records and they drive away and he beats them there because he's Superman and can run super fast. Um, after kicking a football into orbit also, which I always, is one of my favorite scenes in the movie because he just kicks the thing. And that scene, that cut, the cut just lasts so long as the football just flies into the distance. It's like the longest shot ever. So yeah, he gets home, talks to his dad about like how he's should be, he's better than just being like a jock who can score touchdowns and Pa Kent, uh, played by Glenn Ford, I believe yeah. in this one. Mm-hmm. Clutches his right arm in a super accurate depiction of a heart attack and collapses and dies. <laughs> Clark's dog finds him first, I think. <laughs> I think that's what ends up happening. No, Ma Kent, he sees well, him. Ma Kent uh, sees him, yeah, and while Clark is playing with the dog. And they run over. At this point, yeah, Clark decides he needs to leave. I think he finds the ship and, like, or something. No, he, well, yeah, he finds the ship and gets the green crystal. The green crystal, yeah. Goes to the north. And he goes up north. Yeah, yeah throws the green crystal and it turns into the... Fortress of Solitude. Now, here's a question for the crowd. Uh, maybe we can talk about this afterwards. Because this feels to me, and I hadn't thought about it until I was rewatching this, where like he goes up there for 12 years or whatever. Like he's 18 and he comes out around 30. <laughs> so does like Jorel just completely wipe his personality and like imprint him to be the person he wants him to be for those 18 years then or whatever? Like he's, he's up there for like a decade. I guess we're supposed to think and he, like, he's learning, him? right? Like, well, I guess. Probably is some. Yeah, some some like personality programming going on yeah. the, on top of the. I'm going to teach you everything about like you know Kryptonian culture and your power. He's got and twenty everything. galaxies worth of knowledge to learn. I mean, it, that doesn't yeah. leave a lot of downtime for getting out. Even at super speed. Yeah, absolutely. I was just I just think I just thought it was weird. I never read it that way before, but I was like, oh, that's weird. It kind of like he programmed him this time, and I, it makes sense because they use that like evil Jor-El in Smallville too, right? Like later, yeah. they kind of play that up a little bit. I just love that we that we never go back to Ma Kent. Like, oh yeah, we, we well, never that, we never see like Clark show up after twelve years, being like, "Hey, I'm grown up now." Does he go back in three? 
I don't remember if he interacts with her in three no, or she passed away. I know. Well, I guess we'll find out. To watch three. But he does in returns. Like she's alive in returns, yeah. right? Like Brandon Routh interacts with Ma Kent, this, yeah, which yeah. is supposed to be the same Ma Kent, right? In yeah. theory or whatever, even though it's like 20 years removed. Anyway. Yeah. yeah so he, he gets programmed by Jarrell or taught, instructed by Jarrell. This is where we get the super suit. Finally, we're an hour into the movie at this point. Like we've been going, <laughs> we've been going forever. And the super suit shows up. He flies off into the camera and we are in metropolis now and i think we're at is it daily planet first or does it is it otis walking through the city first that's uh, it's either or basically yeah, um because you either get a scene of clark in, being introduced to lois and perry jimmy and, and perry and stuff uh at the daily planet while at the same time uh two cops are following otis uh who's ned Beatty, you know, who's like Lex Luthor's sidekick or whatever. Although I don't ever like, it never makes sense as to why he's around aside for like to make Lex feel better about himself. Basically. <laughs> hey, that's why Lex keeps most people around. I think, I guess, I guess that's fair. You need someone to berate at this point. The plot's kind of in motion where Lex has decided that like, or no, so even, even yeah. barely, like you're, you're aware of Lex Luthor. You have no idea what Lex Luthor is up to. Yeah. <laughs> Until the last like half hour of the movie. Yeah, and like the only reason we know is because we know who Lex Luthor is. Like yeah. he's the Superman villain, right? Like you kind of know going in because of who you are, right? Whereas like I guess if you're just watching this blank, you're like, huh, that guy's got a lot of that different wigs. Guy? <laughs> Gene, Gene Hackman, he's really wearing those wigs. Yeah. So that's cool. <laughs> what happens at this point? Well, basically, yeah, so he's in, in town. Uh, Lois, because they, they make a callback to this in Batman v Superman where they're like, uh, Amy Adams is asking for a helicopter to go to Gotham. Oh, yeah. And like, and she goes off to take the helicopter, right? So this is the helicopter scene. Lois goes up to take the helicopter to go somewhere. Helicopter malfunctions. Air Force, Air Force One. He's gone to visit the president who's landing on Air Force One. Right, right. Because then we get the montage of him saving Air Force One also. Yep. Air Force One, that's just fraught with danger these days. <laughs> you know? Either way. So yeah, Superman obviously saves the day as the helicopter crash, like almost falls off and Lois almost falls off the building and all this good stuff. Um, it's probably my favorite superhero introduction sequence in any incredible (laughs) yeah it's so fucking perfectly done he's just so cool and collected and uh, i've got you who's got you it's the chuckle after he asked like she asked like who's got you and he just kind of laughs at her i'm like yeah all right and it's earlier too when he like so the thing about reeve is that like it's not that just just he's a great superman but he is a spectacular bungler like when he's yeah he's a great clark kent yeah the moment when like Lois's Lois purse is getting robbed and he catches the bullet and then she does Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. And he kind of like smirks at himself. Like he's just so good at playing like yeah. someone who like knows how good he is and just revels in like being able to like perform goodness. Playoff. And like yeah. he, he's got these gifts and he's just like he like he gets off on being helpful. Like and, and yeah. he's able to be like the most helpful person on the world and he just like enjoys being a superhero. It's like, yeah. like kind of light like lighthearted and bouncy. Yeah. Yeah, like a Marvel movie. It's funny how they. <laughs> yeah, funny that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, there's this, there's that story that I, before they start any movie, Feige sits the people down that are making the movie and makes them watch Superman the movie. I mean, like that's <laughs> that's his tradition. You should. It's 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 like it's the wellspring. Like it's where everything comes from. I mean, we're gonna talk about Jesus a lot. It's the Bible of these fucking movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's the origin story of all of this stuff. So yeah. Good artist, yeah. a great artist, steal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So either way, uh, Superman saves Lois. Um, they have the best meet cute of all time in cinema history, basically. <laughs> uh, and Lois faints, uh, as Lois is wont to do after meeting Superman. 
And like, he's so great in that scene, that little interaction, like still the safest way to fly. Like he has to stop himself. Like I'm going to make a snide little joke. Cause I want to hit on this hot girl. And then he flies away. Like <laughs> who has a chance? He's so handsome. Like I was in love with him in that shot. So like, there we go. Um, we get, this is where we get the montage of Superman, just like introducing himself to Metropolis. He stops a bunch of gangsters. He stops a cat burglar. He saves a cat. <laughs> Yeah, he saves a cat. cat. He does. Tree. Yeah, he does everything from like the top down, basically, like a federal crime to a cat in a tree. He's helping <laughs> out with like half an hour. <laughs> well, I mean, he's Superman. He could do it all in fifteen minutes. It doesn't yeah. really matter. Like, it's just that's like a hell of a first night, right? Yeah, basically. <laughs> so either way, uh, at some point, I don't remember what happens, but like he ends up going to Lois, and then they do the you can fly romance montage. Oh yeah. Yeah, the oh, that that whole balcony scene leading up to it though is just so well, like, good. It's it's the scene after the balcony scene that's the best. Like that's the scene that I want to talk about because like he <laughs> Superman takes her on this flight and she's all combo- discombobulated and probably frothing at the loins at this point. <laughs> uh, and like Clark shows up to take surprisingly horny movie. <laughs> it is man, this movie's like super horny. It's yeah. crazy. So Clark shows up to take her on a date. And there's that little scene where she goes off to like, I need to get a coat because she's wearing basically nothing. And Superman's been flying around. She's like, she doesn't have hypothermia. Good thing is Kryptonian powers like extend around her magically somehow in to this, keep her safe. Yeah, it seems that sure. way in this version. Yeah. So either way, so she goes to grab a coat and he kind of takes his glasses off thinking like, Lois, I want to tell you I'm Superman. And like the best acting, like he should have won an award for this scene oh, yeah. alone. Just where the he transition. Like, yeah. Where he takes his glasses off and he puffs up a little bit. And all of a yeah. sudden you're like, oh, shit, it's Superman. Like Superman's in that suit. And then she comes back out and he crumples again and puts the glasses back on. You're like, holy fuck. I buy this. Yeah, like, this I would totally work believe. On me. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I totally fucking believe that there's two different people. Well, like, you see that <laughs> popping up on Twitter all the time. Like any t- time yeah. someone on Twitter talks about Superman, it's like, look at Christopher Reeve here. Like it's, the, he <sighs> it's does nothing. Flawless. He takes off his glasses and he stands up a few inches taller. And it yeah. like you, it may as well have been Tony Stark putting on the Iron Man outfit. Like yeah, he, basically it totally changes his demeanor before your eyes, and there's no special effect. It's just like it's well, no, Christopher Reeve is the special yeah, effect. He is, exactly, he's giving one of the all-time great movie star with a capital M, capital S performances of all time. Like oh yeah, absolutely, he, he absolutely, the greatest special effect in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So at this point, he's got Lois on lockdown as Superman, and he knows it because like she, he shows up and she walks out. And she's completely discombobulated by the whole affair. And he, again, he smirks the camera basically. And he's like, "Oh yeah, she's mine. How she's, super am well, I?" I mean, she's basically come drunk at this point, right? Like, how many times? How many times did she get off during that flight? Gonna, right? I was just gonna say, it's like he fucked her drunk, basically. It's, like, it's craziness. Anyway. Come, come drunk, Lois Lane. <laughs> the most inappropriate review of Superman 1978 of all time. I think we're the we're the right people to do that. It's just it is. It's such a horny fucking movie. Like between Miss <laughs> Tessmacher and all the Superman and Lois stuff. Like, ye yeah, god, talk of panties. In the 70s, and... Everything was horny in the seventies. <laughs> I get. Yeah, that's right. The panties bits, like before the flight too, where he's she's like, oh, what color is my underwear? And he looks and can't see, and then like. <laughs> snaps it afterwards and i'm like you she she asked yeah exactly she she, she consented to that <laughs> yeah absolutely like superman's not doing it without permission she asked and yeah. he, he it's like he I looked like past the underwear much, yeah yeah <laughs> oh christopher reeve like, i'm telling what you what a double entendre he's so good i like your pink very much lois <laughs> yeah man like i said horniest fucking movie yeah. like just so horny yep um, they're all kind of like this now that I'm thinking about it. They're all kind of like weirdly like horny. I have, I can't wait to watch the rest of them now and just be like, 
I'm going to watch these through the lens of Superman is just like the biggest horn dog of all time. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be this watch through of these movies while we review them for Dance Robot Dance. Blowing loads through Lois's back. <laughs> Jesus. Kry- kryptonite condom. I mean, that's we get to talk about that in the next one more than this one, really, because like <laughs> that's true. where they get they get freaky next time. But yeah, yeah. and then returns. So at this point, I don't really know what's happening anymore. I think Clark goes to the office to talk to Perry and the dog whistle thing goes off. I'm sure something else has happened in between here, but like just for the main plot, um, Lex Luthor is basically baiting him to show up. He's told him that he's got like a gas canister on a civilian or something like that. And that's what he gets him to go off. It's great because just lots of shots of dogs barking as only the only people in the metropolis that can hear this when, thing that, when that noise went off my dog started barking at the tv yeah yeah <laughs> my, my, Win- winston did too yeah harley did too actually i could hear her in the house like barking at it because i had it on so loud actually, up here. either way well the fucking like uh whistle sound was so goddamn loud i thought it was like my smoke alarm or some shit yeah <laughs> i thought it was i thought it was something else yeah i had my my surround sound on it was super loud lex luther still committing crimes 40 years later yeah, yeah, I was playing this on like five one, fucking like on the, even the DVD copy that I have has a Dolby has that Dolby remix. Yeah, it's the Dolby track. Yeah, and it, it like holy shit, just fucking yeah, it's fucking ears. loud. Yeah, <laughs> so that, I mean, there's that. Um, so there, this is where in the director's cut, there's the cool sequence of him like running through the gauntlet of shit that can't touch him, basically. But they don't have that in the the, in theatrical, the theatrical cut. It was in the version I watched because the. The version I watched is actually like the the extended cut that has like ten extra minutes of footage, and that's okay. Because like the 4K one is like the straight theatrical cut, yeah, and that's yeah, what yeah. I watched. I and then I watched watch like it, the director's right. cut uh, on my computer today. But like I was just flipping through more than anything. Because like once you watch it in 4K, rewatching it, it's like not fucking worth it anymore. <laughs> yeah. So he goes down there. Lex tells him his like master plan, basically. At this point, like we're in like full plot mode he at this point. We're just like barreling. Yeah. This, this has yeah. to be like 90 minutes of plot exposition that the pre- that the rest of the film has been studiously avoiding. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, they've been avoiding the main plot of this movie for like the rest of it. Because it's like two separate movies, right? Where it's oh, like yeah. Superman origin, and then like we're going to do the action bit that we have to do. Then I guess, and actually at the same time, like the Marvel movies are just as guilty of this, where it's like it's almost two separate movies every time they do an origin, where like you get to the point where they are the superhero, kind of, mm-hmm. and now it's like we got to fight somebody basically and you can also yeah. just so there's an that, action sequence like you can also kind of tell that this was meant to be two like a part one and a part two that like we're being filmed back to back yeah. like lex luther is very much the b villain where you've introduced you to the a villain they're gonna come back don't worry and then yeah. richard donner gets fired and everything just gets blown all to hell yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah i really like them to just take those two scripts and just do that properly now like just take all this stuff update it a little bit and just shoot that Stop yeah. trying to write new shit. Just do this again. <laughs> Clean it up. Clean. I mean, the only problem is you can't like. I mean, I like Henry Cavill, but he like he's not Christopher Reeve. Like he's close, yeah. but he's Brandon just... Routh to do it again. Ah, uh, I like. I'd see. I'm a big Brandon Routh guy. So, so. yeah, he's so good uh, when, at, in Legends he, as yeah, yeah, when, did the Kingdom well, Come Superman. Yeah, when he got to play when like when he got to put on the cape and he got the fanfare again on the on the crossover episode. Oh, I, yeah. I, I like. I was happy for him. But like, yeah. I was, I was just happy, like in general, getting to see him do that again because, like, I am a staunch defender of Superman Returns, and I will go to bat for that movie every day of the week. Uh, but we're at, you we're might at, have to come at, back for that episode, yeah, Stephen, because, like, I'm, I'm on the other side of that fence. I, I, whew, that movie's. I, I will <laughs> gladly be the contrarian on that one. But anyway, we can fair enough. We can deal oh. with that four movies from now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, that one's that one's a desi- that divisive one for me. It, uh, yeah. So either way, um, yeah, so Lex has now told Superman that he's going to launch two nuclear missiles. There is a sequence where we see Lex messing with the two nuclear missiles yeah, and Otis is an like, idiot. Like and... a great criminal mind. Like we get to see him like living up to the billing. Like he's going to just yeah. 
roll up and and hijack these two nuclear missiles because he's Lex fucking Luthor. Yeah, and yeah. his whole scheme, like he's got the fucking overlay of the West Coast and everything, and the the new yeah. West Coast, and it's like Otis the most Berg. fucking arch. Yeah, Otisburg, Otis Walker Hills. <laughs> Tess, yeah, Tesmacher Hills like is the one that gets Tess me the Mark, best. Yeah, Tess yeah. Hills. Yeah, yeah, so good. <laughs> Yeah, Miss Te- like that him screaming, Miss Tess Walker. It's like stuck in my fucking brain for like my entire life. <laughs> so much of this has just entered the pop culture like zeitgeist overall, right? Like it's just you know you see another piece of like comic book me- media, or like, you could sit somebody down that has never seen this movie, and they would yeah. probably feel like they have seen this movie, yeah, because they've seen so many of the tropes and and moments rehashed. Yeah, it's, well, it's like, hey, have you seen Iron Man? Oh well shit yeah because yeah. <laughs> you've seen this movie then i'll basically it's like a rosetta stone like you see this and you're like oh that's where literally everything i've been watching for the past 15 years yeah. came from yeah. like you can finally translate it all like it all comes back to this single source yeah so either way also um in this little section here while they're like doing their villain back like their hero villain back and forth lex tricks superman into opening a lead box that contains the only kryptonite on the planet or whatever there's a lot of questions i have about how kryptonite gets like fucking 26 galaxies away to earth because yeah, like the the version i like the most is like the 90s superman version surprise surprise like the comic book version where some kryptonite like gets lodged in the ship as it's yeah. leaving or something like that and it kind of it's just stuck on the ship when it gets there and like kind of gets dislodged upon re-entry or entry into the atmosphere or something <laughs> I would like if I was writing it now, it would be like it, they opened a wormhole to get him to Earth, and yeah. a bunch of Krypton just fell through the wormhole. Also, yeah. basically, you, did that, you just don't you have you don't have to do this weird hand wavy thing where it's like there are multiple galaxies away, but miraculously, a chunk of this planet has fallen to this. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't make a lot of sense either way. So he's got kryptonite, and he puts the kryptonite on him. It's like, like I, I wish I had that prop, like the the chain <laughs> with chain. the rock. Yeah, I I just want that prop for like whatever reason. <laughs> and he throws him into the water, and Superman's drowning and struggling with the thing. And he fires off the two missiles, one of which is aimed at uh, San Andreas Fault, and the other which is aimed at Hackensack, New Jersey. Both of which are like catastrophically devastating to the American populace, one way or the other. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because like one's right next to New York fucking city, which I guess is Metropolis in this world, yeah, but both whatever. Kill tens of millions of people. Yeah, and the other one's going to hit, like, basically do what... Which they kind of hand wave. Yeah. (laughs) And then the other one's going to do what Maynard wants to do in uh, Anima and, like, wash fucking Los Angeles off the map, basically, like, (laughs) Arizona Bay style. So that's, like, good... Hey, Bill Hicks reference right there, which we don't get to do very often (laughs) because he's been dead for ages. Either way, what happened... Yeah, so now Superman saves the day, basically. He's forced to get... So Miss Tessmacher goes to help him because now her, her mother lives in Hackensack. And so she has a change of heart about this whole plan. And uh, in her white dress, she gets into the water and <laughs> uh, pulls the rock off of Superman, throws it down the drain. Superman gets better. Not before kissing him. She, he does. She does kiss him. And again, horny, like just horny movie. Right. So like she kisses him. And he asks her why. And he's she's like, because you probably wouldn't let me otherwise. And I'm like, that's consent. Good times. And, and, and yeah. And Superman doesn't answer. Let's let's be clear about that. Yeah. So he's not, yeah he's not, well, actually, I probably would have because like, yeah, you got big titties. I got yeah, Jesus it. Christ, are you a hot, hot, <laughs> hot woman? Like just hot. Either way. <laughs> Where was I going? With? Oh, yeah. So he takes off to go stop the, the one that's on its way to Hackensack. He does so. But the other one hits in Los Angeles or not in Los Angeles, in California and causes like a huge earthquake to happen. He basically bench presses or deadlifts <laughs> San Andreas fault. 
on his own because he's Superman. And this is like clearly pre-crisis Superman where he's just like, yeah. if he wanted to move the star, then fine. He can because he's yeah, exactly. that Superman. He'd, he'd break a sweat, but he can do it kind of. Thing. Ba- barely break a sweat. He'd be like, oh, geez, that one drop. Yeah. Good thing I brought this sweatband with me. Like, <laughs> oh, no. So he has to go back and kind of like he, he fixes the fault and he saves people on Golden Gate Bridge. But and he uh, saves Jimmy Olsen at the Hoover Dam, which bursts and is very cool, except some of the special effects shots in that sequence aren't super great anymore. And then, sadly, Lois is driving around and for, I don't know why, can't keep her gas tank full. The gas station blows up next to her and the, the earth opens up and swallows her and her car hole and Lois dies. Clark finds her too late. He lets out the death scream. Basically, it's like somebody was watching this movie while they were writing... Yeah, I was going to say, somebody was watching this movie when they were writing that script in TNG and stole that for the Klingons. It's like, that's a good bit for the Klingons. Let's do this. He takes off into the atmosphere where Pa Kent and Jarrell are apparently talking to him because he stops. That's what's weird about that scene is if he just kept flying as he was hearing it in his head, that's fine. But he stops and like looks around like, why are these things talking to me? And I was like, this is a very strange choice to make in this movie. But okay, we're cool. And he flies out into into space and starts flying backwards around earth turning time back and a now legendary scene <laughs> yeah and a legendary sequence uh Not, yeah for better or for worse where the earth spins backwards and i always kind of in my head i hadn't watched this in a while for i forget the bit where he flies forwards and starts it up again basically yeah. which kind of ruins my head canon where it's just like it's it's all visual metaphor of him flying backwards like he's going backwards in time that fast and that the earth turning backwards is just like oh no, no, we're kind of showing but no 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 he full-on fucking turns <laughs> the earth backwards and then which, starts it going back i'm like we all fall off the planet works didn't you know that that's not how physics works, man. If you stop the <laughs> fucking planet from rotating, it's like calamity upon calamity. So yeah, exactly. Like, oh, all right, soups. But it still works because, like, the movie has established, like, we're going to be goofy and we're going to have fun. Yes, and, like, you yeah. don't have to think yeah. about, like, st- like reality too much while you're watching this. Like, you just get to sit back and enjoy, like, this fantastic <laughs> world. So when he starts, like, like when he starts, you know, like, turning the planet backwards you're, you're just like and the music's swelling and john williams yeah. doing john williams things you're just like yeah go superman it's not like hmm. <laughs> like i don't know how well that would work in reality it's just like no, <laughs> you created this this atmosphere where like i am on board with whatever you want to do like go ahead yeah. and say fuck physics like i'm here for it <laughs> it's basically the uh the stay fuck marshmallow man scene of this movie where it's like if you're bought if the, the audience is bought in enough in, yeah. then they're fine with the marshmallow man if they haven't bought in yeah, you get away with then yeah but if you bought in you can get away with it yep. so like yeah and i like as i'm sure this is some of those things that only like you only really like start nitpicking upon like your 400th viewing of this thing yeah, exactly. because you're doing it for a podcast or whatever but like like i it mean yeah it, it's just weird level if it makes sense on an emotional level like you can always yeah. spackle over like you know reality like that if it like if it works emotionally I mean, you can always spackle over the reality of the situation based on the fact that it's a man who can fly. Yeah. Like, it's, it's Superman. You know what I mean? Like, you can do anything anyway, so what the fuck can you do? You believe a man can fly. Like, it's right there in the yeah. tagline. Like, this, this movie yeah. came out in 1978, and when he took off, like, doing the helicopter bit, I was like, yes, I 100% believe that this hu- that this person can fly. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just, like, it's it's movie magic. Like, it's it's like it's Christopher Reeve and John Williams that do, like, the heaviest of the heavy lifting. But oh yeah, absolutely. Do, like anything goes. Like you can you can get yeah. away with absolutely anything you want to when you've got like 
two people just working at the absolute peak of their powers like that. I mean, like Richard Donner's no slouch either. You know no, what I mean? not like, at all. This this movie's directed within an inch of its life too. Yeah. Like it's shot oh, excessively yeah. well. Yeah. Like it's it's scored magnificently, and it's just yeah, it's yeah, fantastic. Um, so just to wrap up the plot, Superman has turned time backwards. He goes back to Lois, who immediately starts just snarking at him, <laughs> and he can't help but smile, right? Because like he's just fucking happy that she's alive at this point. They almost kiss. Jimmy ruins it because Jimmy ruins everything. Because that's what Jimmy does. And then he basically just leaves them in the middle of the desert together also. Like, he just abandons them there, too, because he fucks off to go bring Lex Luthor to jail. She still has a car at that point. Yeah, but there's no gas in the car. Like, she's already run out of gas. (laughs) He left her without gas. Either way. Uh, He drops Lex Luthor off, and he has, like, this weird exchange with, like, the, what do you call it, the warden of the prison? Where he's, like, they're talking about, like, the good of the nation or something like that. Like, the warden has something to do with the United States succeeding because of Superman, <laughs> but like, all right, cool. That warden does have a very high opinion of himself. Yeah. <laughs> apparently. Yeah, apparently. Uh, but either way, Superman, you know, tells the warden, like we're all in this together. Cause that's, you know, Superman always on fight for the right side, I guess. Truth, justice in the American, what is it? Truth, truth, justice in the American, justice in the American way. way. Yeah. Especially in 1978 Superman. So like, <laughs> uh, at that point, yeah, he flies off and we get the classic, you know, Christopher Reeve flying off into the sunset Superman montage which they do in every movie and then they homage in every movie and everybody does it and we are off into john williams scoreland and into the credits and that's the basic outline of 3d credits superman returns yeah i love those uh the opening sequence of this movie is still like one of my favorite opening credit sequences it's impactful for sure yeah Yeah. and it's so like obviously like this is this came out in a post star wars world so it's so obvious we're trying to kind of recreate you know the big bold letters and the pulling back into space but it like it's similar visually, but it works so differently. And it's because like it's because the visuals are different. And it's because it's got that little opening with like the curtain going back in the Daily Planet, yeah. and, and like the way that the music functions is so different. Like with Star Wars, it's like announcing something brand new, so it's got like that big chord right up at the top that's going to grab your attention. But with Superman, it's like at this point, Superman was forty years old. Like everybody knew who Superman was. Everybody had seen yep. the comics. Yep. Everybody had seen the George Reeves TV show. So there's like that that build, like that crescendo, you know, the bum ba da bum bum bum, and it's like that little, gradually yeah, gets the little homage, and, and then you yeah. get you get the whoosh, and you get like the big Superman theme, and then you get the Superman march, and it's like it's like announcing itself, like here is this thing you've been waiting for. We're like we're delivering. Like when I was watching it, you can practically hear like the old radio serial introduction over it, like over, you know, like over the intro, it's like, yeah. you know, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive and look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Superman. It's like yeah. the main brought to you like, by Kellogg's checks. Yeah. It's like, the yeah. main thing is to, like <laughs> announcing himself to the universe. And there are other podcasts out there that know much more about music than I do that have like gone in depth on like the Superman intro and stuff before. But like, it's like, you can like the music sounds the way that Superman looks. And yeah. like it, and it just like it just works. Like it is, it is like the the best superhero intro that you can possibly ask for. Yeah, I challenge anyone not to feel at least a bit inspired when listening to those like epic soaring John Williams themes. Uh, I've got like, I've got a, a final right over here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what got me. Like on this rewatch, was just like the score catches you. You know what I mean? Like you're yeah. so impacted by the score, even in the opening credits, where you're just like, oh yeah, Superman. This is like. And not I feel even, like there's hope in the world just oh, because yeah, this yeah. music's playing. So. And not e- not even like the actual like main Superman theme, but like there's like the little the Krypton theme and stuff like that as well. Like there's multiple super recognizable themes in this. Just yeah, oh yeah. You know, it's Sean yeah. Williams, right? Like at, yeah. you know any 
when he wants to make a fucking hook, he makes a fucking hook. Yeah. And he wasn't originally on it. It was originally going to be a Jerry Goldsmith score because he and Donner had worked together before. Can you imagine? Goldsmith, I mean, Goldsmith's great. Like, I love Goldsmith. Yeah. But, like, it would have been so like, different. John Williams has to be the guy. Like, it's it's just what he does. Like, he, yeah. he's the guy who has to score Superman. That You know, that's why they, you know, he walked off Superman 2 because he didn't like that Richard Donner had gotten fired. But, like, that's why they reused his music for Superman Returns. Because, like, if you're making a sequel to Superman, it has to have the John Williams music. Like, well, they've, they've homaged it in the DCEU. Yeah. yeah, they brought, no, they used it full out yeah. in Justice League. Like, yeah. it's in Justice League. The, like, the original Williams score is in there. So, yeah, no, like, they still pull. Like, that, that yeah. you, like, make someone Superman is you give them that music. Like, that's why it works so well on Legends of Tomorrow or on uh, Christ yeah. on Infinite Earth on the CW. Because, like, yeah. Ralph was there and he was wearing the suit and it wasn't like the best version of the suit like you can tell that this is being made on a CW budget not a you know big budget movie budget but he had yeah. the music and therefore like he is Superman like yeah, yeah. I like the Brandon Routh version I li- yeah I like that, that uh, the suit that they had for Crisis when, when they stood him next to the Supergirl Superman uh, yeah. you could tell the difference in quality between those suits <laughs> so yeah I like the new Superman suit that they've got going on for uh, the new show but uh, the one that they had on Supergirl was not the best, not <laughs> the best. So that Brandon Routh one was an upgrade. I think they actually the guys who made that were actually the same guys who made Cavill's Man of Steel suit. Also, like it was the same. They used the feature guys to do the Crisis suit. But either way, yeah. All right. So I mean, I think at this point it's clear that we're all well on the fucking side of this movie. So what is it that really makes this movie work for you overall? Chris Reeve. <laughs> like, I think half of this movie is the casting. For sure. The casting's like spot on a hundred percent. There's no bad casting in this movie. Basically. Yeah. Like I can't think of anybody that I'd like recast off the top of my head. There's no, everybody's perfect. And like, especially the leads, right? Like basically unknowns at this point, Christopher Reeve and Marco Kidder and just like embody these characters. Like I'm pretty sure this Lois Lane is responsible for me. Like, half my taste in women is from the <laughs> Superman movie. And then like the other half is Miss Tessmacher. So <laughs> yeah, like I hands down, Christopher Reeve is my favorite live action Superman. Oh yeah. Uh, and we, you know, we've had, we had a lot of discussions when we were doing the Batman movies on some of the actors doing like a good Bruce or a good Batman and maybe not doing both well. Uh-huh. But I think Christopher Reeve nails both Superman and Clark perfectly. He really embodies that like clumsy, mild mannered reporter. And as we were talking earlier, like he easily makes you buy into the idea that someone could believe that those are two different people, like totally different demeanor as Clark, different vocal tone, different physicality than Superman. And yeah, that, that scene with the shift. Yeah. You could argue they didn't cast a superhero this well again until like Iron Man, almost like they're like Christian Bale, maybe, but like, like Robert Downey Jr. and Chris uh, Evans are the only two guys that I can think are like West, this Wesley good. Snipes. I okay, fair. <laughs> Wesley Snipes is good. That's a good fucking pull. I'll give you that one. I'll give you Wesley, Wesley Snipes, Snipes. Is Blade, dude. <laughs> I guess you know who I'm now. I'm thinking about Patrick Stewart. Yeah, also, I was gonna say prof- yeah, like, dude, like talk about being born born into the role. Even Ian McKellen is Magnus, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, like, it's it, it's very rare that it but happens, right? Years, like, it's yeah, or f- yeah, like fifteen years, let's say, mid nineties. Like, yeah. it's you you don't stumble on you know stuff like that. It you know every five years, every ten years, like maybe every twenty years, if you do your job well. 
Like you, yeah. you and especially you know, this, like where he's an unknown too, right? Like these other guys, like he's like mostly a theater actor up to this. Yeah. yeah, like you knew who Robert Downey Jr. was when they cast him as Tony Stark. Like you knew who Michael Keaton was when he was cast as Batman. Like nobody had any idea who Christopher Reeves yeah. was. They, they went to the big names. Like they offered it to Al Pacino and Beautiful. they offered it to James Bond yeah. and like they offered it to like Robert Redford, like, yeah. Muhammad Ali to be Superman at one point, like early in production. And yeah. like Chris, like someone said, Christopher Reeve early on, and they were like, "No, like he he can he can't do it. Nobody knows who that guy is." And then after everybody else turned them down or like wasn't right for the part, they were like, "All right, let's give this guy a shot." And like he was born to play this role. Like this is yeah. this is what he was put on Earth to do. And yeah, I don't yeah, think absolutely. anybody besides Chris Reeve could have filled out that particular costume, filled out that set of tights like he did. Yeah. Thank you, David Prowse. Also, we found <laughs> yeah. out recently. Because apparently he wasn't that big when they first got him on set, and it was David Prowse who like it took him for him six weeks and got him in, like yeah. got him into Superman shape because he's fucking ripped in this movie. He's huge. Yeah, and I don't know who it is. Like I don't know who gets credit for like the way that he played Clark Kent, like mild mannered reporter Clark Kent. If that was Donner, or if that was you know in one of the scripts, or if that was all on Reeve, but. Yeah. Like the he like this is a movie that is set in the seventies, but he plays Clark Kent like he's the nineteen forties version of Clark Kent. Like, yeah. He's like Cary yeah. Grant in bringing up baby. He's just this like yeah. bumbling, you know, kind of nevish rom com lead. And that's what makes the change so good is because he's simultaneously believable as that and as, you know, the strongest man on earth. Yeah. And to this day, you know, as like comic books have like a sliding timeline, movies kind of have a sliding timeline to a to a point. Clark Kent and Superman always seem to have you know, somewhat outdated values. Like they always seem to be at least a generation behind in terms of their ideologies. Uh, you know, not ne- in terms of, you know, being more traditional, uh, right? I was going to say, what are we going to have? What are we having baby boomer Superman? Like yeah. when's that happening? <laughs> but it, I really it, look forward to the selfish prick Superman who just wants everything for himself. Me generation. Not, maybe not quite. Yeah. The, the, the ideals, I should say the, yeah. I, rather than the shitty parts of those. generations. Yeah. But like for me as a, you know, Superman is the co- the character that got me into comics. Like I consider myself at this point, I've been a fan of Superman longer than I wasn't by far. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Reeve really nails the right tone and embodies my personal opinion of what Superman should be. He's just yeah. good and honorable and altruistic and just wants to do as much good as he can. And we'll see in the later movies too, that, and, and a little bit in this that like, when you know he's faced with anything that looks like a limitation in terms of I can't do that or for whatever reason, that's when you get like the real internal struggle that I love seeing in Superman stories. Yeah, I guess also like the last thing I'll say about it is like he's so iconic in this role that like his image is still basically the the default reference image for Superman in the comics. Yeah, like you still get guys like Gary Frank who just basically draw Chris Reeve yeah. every time they draw Superman, yeah. and like even I like big a wannabe as I am, I do the same thing. Like Chris Reeve is the, the Superman in my head when I'm just freehand drawing Superman. It it always kind of ends up looking like Chris Reeve because that's in my head who Superman is. Mm-hmm. Is that like 1978 Chris Reeve Superman? Well, I guess probably more. I watched Superman 2 a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. So that's where, like a lot of where it comes from. But uh, these two movies and Chris Reeve as Superman is just like, yeah, like part of my DNA at this point. Yeah. So. Yeah, and Margot Kidder also makes just a fantastic Lois Lane, feisty. She's driven. She's you know no nonsense. And I love that they even play up her like canonical issues with spelling. That's this is where it started, though. Yeah. It started in this movie, and they yeah. brought it into the comics from here. But I think it's a well, cute bit. I like that. It's a good bit, though. 
and she plays it so well. There's a bunch of those bits that that really do originate in this movie, like that, you know, with her canonical trouble with spelling. Otis comes back in the comics and in other media later on. Um, as Tessmacher comes back later on, like she's yeah. huge in Supergirl and shit like that. And so this, like, there's a bunch of concepts like that. Ursa, this is the first time that we see Ursa and Non-Zod had appeared before this, and they've become, like, big comic book characters now. Yeah. So, yeah, it just speaks again to, like, the influence this has had on all Superman media that came after. But going back to Margot Kidder, her and Christopher Reeves just fucking on-screen chemistry just blows me away every time in this fucking movie. Yeah. It's yeah. so good. Like, that, and that scene on the balcony is the peak of it. And then the flying sequence, like, I just, I can't not grin ear to ear watching that whole thing. Yeah, no, they've got, uh, like, it, this is the chemistry that Gal Gadot and Chris Pine wish they still like. As good a chemistry as theirs is, they wish they had this chemistry still. Yeah. I mean, anybody, like, it, Pe- Pepper and, and Tony didn't have this chemistry. No, like, they, no, no. Like, yeah, I, I can't think of any couple in the MCU that quite gets to this level. No, I, I can't think of any couple almost... See, for me, almost period that get to this level. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like this Clark and Lois specifically, I'm like, I just want them together forever, basically. You know what I mean? Like, I know that's not how it happens canonically and all that kind of stuff. But like, at the end of the day, like, you just want the Chris Reeve Superman to be, have his Margot Kidder Lois Lane forever. And he's always saving her as she gets into dumb horse shit. Like, that's just what I want in my life. And this is the first time that we start getting away from that, like, sort of real 50s vibe Lois Lane too, right? And yeah. this, like, this is basically the same version of... You know, this is the Lois we grew up reading. Traits. Yeah, exactly. It's it's the Lois that we grew up reading, and the Lois. There are times that like they'll bring take Lois away from this, but she always comes back in the comics and in I mean, arguably in live action as well. She always. Comes I mean, back like to this version. Erica Durant was just like note for note doing oh, yeah. Marco Kidder on Smallville yeah. like the whole time and like that kind of stuff. I mean, like these, yeah, the way they portray these characters, like you can still see aspects of Chris Reeves' performance and Henry Cavill's performance. Amy Adams obviously was kind of like, oh, I can have some fun doing the Margot Kidder stuff mm-hmm. and had her fun doing it also kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe not as well, but like Margot Kidder is a tough act to follow also, and especially in this role. So, yeah, but it's not just these two. Like everybody's good. Um, Gene- I mean, Marlon Brando, Gene Hackman, like just man, he's shattering. Like, he's having a ball. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah. yeah. He plays the evil, maniacal, like egotistical genius really brilliantly. Um, he and Reeve also have really good back and forth in chemistry. Absolutely. Yeah, they're really good together. And it's really, yeah, it's interesting because this is kind of the bridge between the Silver Age, like super arch Lex Luthor, and then the more 80s and 90s, like businessman Lex yeah. Luthor. Because, you know, this is ultimately a real estate scheme. It's a real estate scheme that involves killing tens of millions of people, but it's a real estate scheme. <laughs> it's the first real estate scheme uh, out of 14 that we're going to bitch about by the time we're done <laughs> doing these. So, yeah. So, yeah, because this is a time, you know, the what people envision today as Lex Luthor, kind of like the billionaire businessman, like, you know, who hides behind his corporation or whatever. That didn't really come about until the uh, Man of Steel. Yeah. John Byrne Man of Steel reboot, which is like seven years after this. So this is kind of that that inflection point in between those two versions of Lex Luthor. Yeah. Yeah, because um, they've, they've been going back to this version of Lex Luthor a little bit recently, too. Like, letting him not be just the businessman all the time. Yeah, like, letting him be the arch, little more arch supervillain. Super yeah. yeah, super genius guy. Which, yeah. I mean, both aspects of the character are valid. I mean, we I grew up with him as corporate overlord, Clancy Brown-voiced Lex Luthor, yeah. basically. 
So like that's kind of what I picture in my head. But like, I mean, Gene Hackman. Also, I grew up on this these movies with Gene Hackman. Just like, again, just shattering everywhere. You know what I mean? Just <laughs> chewing. He's chewing on the sets. He's chewing on the fucking costuming. Like even as a moment where he's talking about the costuming, like about the fucking robe bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and you were talking about Brando. Like I, I mean, I love uh, Brando as Jarell in this. He clearly showed up for the role, even if he clearly was like. I'm wondering how much of that was just like whatever, but, that but. he got to do a scene with Terrence Stamp, who just like goes for the fucking gusto also <laughs> in his like screaming match at the beginning. So well, and this this was right around the time when Brando, like you never knew what Brando you were going to get showing up on set. Mm-hmm. And, you know, clearly he's he, he's getting a little pudgy at this one. Like you can tell some yeah. of the wide shots, like he's not that far away from being Colonel Kurtz where they have to hide him in darkness because he's so I huge. mean. This is what in between the first two Godfathers. No, it's I mean, Godfather. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, it's it's in between Godfather one and Godfather two, right? Godfather no, two is where he's Godfathers. Godfather oh, okay. was like seventy one, and Godfather two was seventy four or like seventy two. Oh, okay. So this was like he was pro- when this was released. He was probably already filming Apocalypse Now because that that shoot oh, took yeah. forever. That's. Yeah, and that and that's yeah. the one where really like he just fucking went off the rails. Uh, yeah, no, Brando's good. Even the guy I can never remember is, is it Gary Cooper who plays um, Perry White. I can't remember the guy's name. Who plays yeah, Perry Jackie White. Cooper. Jackie Cooper. Yeah. Jackie Cooper. Uh, yeah. yeah, Jackie Cooper. He like he's like the perfect classic Silver Age Perry White because he's yelling and he's a little befuddled and all that kind of stuff. He's asking about girlfriends and what what sports team he want. Like is his favorite. So I love that bit. Yeah. That, and the kid Mark McClure that they've got playing Jimmy Olsen is just fucking spot on too. Like, yeah, but yeah. Go, I mean, going back to Brando, even I feel like Brando's presence, like just his name on the bill, and then his performance gives this movie some gravitas. And yeah. I think that that's one of the things that makes this movie so good for me is because it's so earnest. Yeah, it, it's it treats the subject matter mostly seriously. It's it's probably one of, if not the first, like mostly serious treatment of a superhero movie you know that's not like camp and you know yeah, not like batman 66 kind of thing like, there's no yeah. yeah like it is like no, we're gonna take this like this guy who could so easily be played as a joke and like passe and out of style like we're gonna take him completely seriously and everybody commits to it yeah exactly yeah that's just it it's it's so committed to you know there is by 2021 standards, yes, this movie requires a good amount of buy-in. I don't know that it needed that much buy-in in 1978, but like, you know, yes, Superman quite literally pushes up a fault line with his bare hands and turns back the earth by spinning it in the wrong direction. But I feel like that that earnestness overall and how, you know, they just go for it, that is the one thing I think I can point to in this movie that is the most transformative going forward for superhero movies overall is that it did take the genre seriously and, you know, it had fun with it for sure. It poked fun at itself once here and there, but you know, 80, 90% of it is like, yeah, we're going to treat this as a serious fucking movie. Like we're going to shoot this in a serious way. It's going to be artfully shot and framed. Like, there are some shots in here. Where I'm just like, that is like genuine in, in any movie, regardless of superhero movie, I would yeah. love. Yeah. I would appreciate that shot. Yeah. No, it's because they treat it like a, an actual movie. Like they don't treat it like a kid's like throwaway thing. Like they could have very well could have, like it could be, they could have treated it like Batman 66. Yeah. Um, I mean, we reviewed that movie. It's a fucking disaster zone, but like <laughs> the one thing that this movie shares with Batman 66 is it might be just as colorful. I don't know, man. I Batman 66 is like, 
like an acid splash to the face, basically. Like it's so intense, like with the color palette and stuff. This is like, I will say, like if you get a chance to watch it in 4K with HDR, it makes a big difference because like they really do a good job of contrasting him. Like the the city's very gray, and that suit really pops with HDR and stuff. Like the red and blues, like really just like very vibrant in the middle of the frame all the time. Yeah, like how does all that? Uh, how does all the stuff on Krypton look in 4K? Like with the grainy, actually. Like that's oh, the because yeah? it's all miniature shots, right? And it was all yeah. shot. 35 millimeter and stuff like that so like some of the like the distant shots like the dome opening and stuff is very film grainy but then when you get inside or like the like disaster stuff and stuff that shit looks fucking awesome in 4k oh, yeah? actually because like everything pops so much with yeah. the hdr like you're just like wow it's everything's so vibrant because they did all that those suits are, were special reflective, reflective technology yeah the reflective material basically like yeah you know, fucking, like uh construction vest kind of material so what's well, almost like yeah, it's almost like photoreflective material they were using, yeah. basically, like for like flash stuff that so they were using. So it just washes out the lens, basically. Yeah, it just it completely blows out everything, like just so pure white. But like you, you, the, the red tone that goes over top of it is just like piercingly red and stuff, like as the disaster, as Krypton starts to like cave yeah. in on itself and stuff. Everything looks great in 4K. You can tell the composite shots are not 100% because they're not, they're not even technically composite shots it's all front projection right like they did a ton of front projection for this movie so like you could see like some lines and shit more prominently but like for a movie from 1978 that's getting blown up to 4k it holds together pretty well so i was i was amazed actually like watching it i was like oh they did a really nice job cleaning this print up and stuff it looks really good so and i think especially for a 40 year old a 43 year old movie at this point uh the production design in general is really striking that take of krypton with all the crystals yeah. uh, had a lasting impact on the superman mythos like that's what this fortress of solitude looked like in the comics and in, and in multiple other form media formats for yeah. many years thereafter and the other thing that i really appreciate here and that I'd, i i don't know that i'd really appreciate before was how many times you see the two towers well, that, yeah, that for sure. There's <laughs> just a lot of that in this. But, but I love the design of, and the production design that they put into Luther's like underground subway lair. Oh, yeah. That set's awesome. That yeah, set's fantastic. It's such a good set. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it really is just. It's big too. Like when you look at it, like it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very elaborate and like all that marble and stuff it looks fucking great. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this, this, the production design of this movie is like spot on almost like the whole way through like the way they transform new york into a slightly cleaner metropolis and all that kind of stuff like it's because this would have been new york like talk about cesspit new york that you talk about in the 80s like 1978 new york would have been like not the place you want to be but uh, they make it look like a slightly nicer city to be in, i guess the yeah. metropolis is supposed to be right so anything else that you guys want to talk about in terms of stuff that that re- you really enjoy about this movie i do have a couple of gripes but we can it's i mean special effects i want to like want to talk about a little bit more just because there's so many like great sequences and shots and stuff and like it this is all um like i i, I mean i'm a huge digital guy but like i love like the old photomechanical effects and like mm-hmm. there's so much good shit in this movie where they're just like in camera tricks and like front projection and everything just holds together so well. It's like that classic filmmaking style of special effects, especially stuff that they were just like, and it's all pioneering stuff that they invented. Like they invented the camera to shoot him flying for this movie. Cause it's in that era, like around star Wars where like, we know we can do all this crazy shit, but we're still creating the technology to allow us to do all this crazy shit. So like we, 
making this movie also is going to require like a year of R&D so we can figure out if we can even shoot it first, basically. Yeah, the flying um, especially like, really does hold up pretty well. Yeah, the flying's pretty good. And it's, I mean, Chris Reeve that's again. That's what like, you need. Like, they talk about it it being him in the harness. Like, he, he was, because he flew, right? Like, he knew how to fly a plane. So he realized, like, yeah, he would be banking as he turned and stuff like that. So he mm-hmm. turned more naturally in the harness than anybody else they'd ever had in there. And they're like, oh, okay, he's the fucking perfect guy for this because he gets <laughs> not only, like, how to be Clark and Superman, but he also understands, that, like, when you fly, you bank and all this other kind of, like, weird nitpicky stuff that he yeah. also did. So... Yeah, the flying stuff's fantastic. All the superpower stuff actually holds up pretty well for the most part. Like, even the San Andreas, like, pushing up, like, that effect shot looks great. The underground scenes look really good, yeah. Yeah, the stuff with, like, the the miniatures of, like, the Hoover Dam blowing up, like, that is still clearly miniature shots that we're not, like... That shows its age, especially in high depth. That has an age super great uh, in 4K, especially. Yeah, like, it was very clearly, like, these are beautiful models, but, like, they're clearly models Models, and stuff. (laughs) Like, other than that, like, just him flying around and, like, catching the missiles and all that kind of stuff, everything looks fucking great. And, like, the special effects team really deserve the Oscar that they did not get for this movie, so... Mm-hmm. I think they got a like a special achievement one. Yeah, but like some a bunch of people didn't get uh, Oscars that were probably owed them yeah. for this movie based on the technology they created just to shoot this thing. So if all the Star Wars guys got awards for the crap they created to do that, then there's probably some people in this movie that deserve to get similar awards for creating just the camera alone that they used to shoot the flying. Yeah, and even deserves some kind of recognition. Like even in the places where you can see that like they had to cut around something a little bit. Like it yeah. all flows so well together, which is why it got a best editing nomination. Like they hide the seams really, oh, yeah. really well. You, you, like even when you know that there is a seam there. Dance robot, dance related story. The editor of this film is Stuart Baird, the director of Star Trek Nemesis. Oh no! Yeah, so Stuart Baird, Stuart Baird is an Academy Award winning editor, right? Like he, he won the Academy Award for this. He's won others too, and he's he's no, he edited some. Was he nominated for this? He's won one before though. Uh, yeah, he his he got his directing debut on Star Trek Nemesis, and that was the only movie he ever got to direct. Ew. Rightfully so. Yeah, he went back to editing after that because like, he edited Superman, so like he obviously had a skill set, but like it didn't obviously translate to directing super well. Well, I mean, like I don't know if anybody could have directed their way out of the mess that is Star yeah, Trek Nemesis, that, though. So, yeah. like, that script, I, mean, I don't think fucking Coppola could have done that script. <laughs> oh yeah, I was, I was, I remember we rewatched it. I was like, I don't, you, oh my god, you couldn't have gotten like Nolan wouldn't have been able to pull this one out. It wasn't even the fucking movie Christy thought it was. Oh yeah, she thought it was First Contact. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a movie I wouldn't mind rewatching for the podcast at <laughs> least. Plot holes aside, but oh, like, God, yeah, so good. I'd be so disappointed if I thought I was watching First Contact and it turned into Nemesis. <laughs> oh. Nemesis, oh. Yeah. Oh. Nemesis is a painful fucking experience. But <laughs> every time I've seen it, anyway, Superman. Yeah, I just want to. I just think it's hilarious that the guy who fucking edited Superman directed like the worst possible Star Trek movie of all time. Well, I mean, Star Trek Five is really bad, so it's kind of up for debate whether it's Nemesis or <laughs> Final Frontier. Maybe we should do those movies at some point and decide. But like. We started a Star Trek movie rewatch early in quarantine, and we got sidetracked by uh, by Final Frontier. We were like, well, we I, yeah, we uh, have to. Yeah. <laughs> I did a huge rewatch of like the entire franchise when quarantine started, and getting to getting through. Uh, I don't like four particularly either. Like, I think it's a little too goofy oh, for my God. taste. So earnest. It's it's fun, but like I it whatever. Like I, it's one of those movies I can just put on computer. Yeah. Like, it's cute, but like, eh. but like five, I'm like, holy shit. 
Sometimes I skip it and just watch six because six is fucking. I was gonna say, yeah, like if you can, that that's your reward for yeah, getting yeah, through five. Just, is you get to yeah. watch Undiscovered Country. Undiscovered Country is fucking dope. That director's chair, like let him do his thing. Yeah, you get to watch Christopher Plummer just fucking chew scenery in the most beautiful way. Him and Shatner just like Christopher Plummer doing Shakespeare as a Klingon, like yeah. <laughs> Christopher Plummer and William Shatner trying to out ham each other basically for fucking two hours, like just out ham with each other. Yeah, <laughs> well played, Tim. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I guess the the only other thing that I really feel like pointing out here is just that that how much powerful imagery that's in this movie that has just become part of popular culture that has just become inextricably linked with Superman, like the the naked boy walking out of the violent wreckage unscathed. Uh, and then, like, lifting up the truck with ease, and then, like, Clark racing the train, that whole Superman and Lois flying. A helicopter, yeah, right at the beginning. Yeah, the helicopter, Superman using his body to bridge it. The, the train. Yeah, to bridge the train tracks and everything. Like, all uh, pushing up a school bus that's teetering off a bridge. Like, all of those have just become totally tropes in, in comic book films. I mean, like flying backwards around the planet to turn back time as a trope. Like it, they use it and they, it's a family guy joke at the very least. I like, have seen yeah, it there. So true. yeah, not even, not even pop culture at large. Like there's so many moments that like Superman films themselves, like keep recycling because it's almost expected of them. Like the yeah, yeah. going back and revisiting because like, well, it's a Superman movie. You have to have this. Like, I mean, I mentioned it last time you had me on, but I've rewatched like, I've been was on like a whole Sherlock Holmes thing. And like there's there are moments that like started in one of the books that pop up in every single Sherlock Holmes adaptation because like you just absolutely have to have like you this have line it, or yeah. this moment or this yeah. image. And it's the same with Superman. Like you have like the iconography is so fundamental and elemental that like you almost have to have it. Otherwise, is it really a Superman movie? Yeah. Yeah. And then this this is really the first time that we have a lot of those scenes that are classically part of superman's origins and mythology that are presented for the first time in in a really earnest way in live action yeah so all right cool so we'll move on uh do you guys have gripes for the superman 1978 movie my only thing is there's some like weird like tonal whiplash and like because it goes between like super earnest to like overly cutesy in some spots for me at like maybe in 1978 it worked okay but now there's yeah. some bits that are a little bit too like on the nose campy that i don't think you would be able to get away with they don't really do anything to affect my opinion of this movie in particular because like i just love this movie like it's a family member basically at this point <laughs> like it's you're just I don't willing know. to overlook a lot yeah like i'm willing to overlook a, a big chunk of stuff but there is some like there's some slapsticky shit in here that I'm like, all right, this is like Otis, basically some of the like Otis that. Shit. Yeah. yeah, like some of the Otis shit. Like, is, he's the like. There's other characters that have those moments, but like he's the kind of like focal point of it. And it's like, all right, this is a little bit too much. Also, it's very like it doesn't feel that long, but it is a long movie. Um, does, like a yeah. two and a half hour movie. Like it is. It plods a little bit. Yeah, where I'm watching it and I'm like, maybe there's some editing you could still do to this. I don't know what I would want to cut out at that point. But like, because I'm more of the mind of like, I'd rather watch the three hour version. Just give me more of it. <laughs> there is a three but, hour version. Oh, no, I like the three hour version also. But like when I'm watching the two hour like theatrical cut, I'm like, OK, yeah, there's a little bit of this where it's like, mm, we need to keep moving the plot forward a little bit. Guys, it's getting a little slow here. But yeah. once it gets going, it's like, 
it's as fun a roller coaster ride as any movie of that period. I mean, it's got that Raiders like energy to it, like all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I don't know. There's something about like that late seventies, early eighties era of filmmaking. That's just like Ford momentum and like constant energy that you can't, Mm -hmm. the Marvel movies kind of capture it here and there, but like, it's almost like from that era and it's lost from that era, basically like up till 85, I'll say like Ghostbusters is the last one where you get that feeling. I mean, it's nostalgia. It could be just pure nostalgia on me where those movies like Jaws and Superman and Star Wars and Indiana Jones and Ghostbusters and all that kind of stuff where it's just like, oh yeah, that's pop culture personified. Like that's the Bible of what I fucking grew up on basically or whatever. But yeah, yeah. there's there's that period of film where it's just like everything's magical. Everything's done by hand and it's magic. Just magic. I don't know how to explain it. And Superman's like the best example of it because yeah, you believe you can fly by the end of it. Yeah. And it's fantastic. <laughs> For me, I mean, there are definitely effects that don't hold up. Some of them. Oh, I mean, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Some of the mi- miniatures don't hold up to close, close scrutiny and like HD or 4K, like some some of the landscapes, like you get like styrofoam ice and styrofoam rocks and shit like that. Clearly. Yeah. Some of the space scenes this watch through were kind of like cheesy. Like there's clearly one of the like, I don't know whether they're trying to make it like a nebula or something like that where it's clearly just match heads being lit on fire yes, superimposed yeah. over the space yeah the uh, the sound effect of the ship going by also is like very 50s kind of like day of the earth is still kind of schlocky sounding also yeah. so like i think you know the the most obvious comparison here is star wars because it came out like the year before i don't yeah. think that this is as impressive as a special effects set piece as uh, star wars is overall as a new hope is overall. I haven't like, see, I haven't watched a new hope in a long, like, especially the original new hope in a long time, like Nobody to compare and contrast. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's true. That, that is true, which is sad. You know, I'd love to go back to those, the ones that I grew up on. And that's a topic for another day. <laughs> and I cannot, as a scientist, overlook the massive fuck science moment of Superman turning the earth the other way. Because I know that that is fundamentally wrong, and I understand this is a comic book movie, but about like, Superman, who I, is I, like the I, character. If there was a character whose book could also be called "Fuck Science," it's Superman. I buy, like, I can buy into the like Superman, you know, gain special powers under a yellow sun and all that. You know, cells become supercharged or whatever, and therefore he can have special abilities. Like, I I can buy into that, but I cannot buy into. Yes, he spun the the world around the other way, and it didn't. It somehow didn't cause the Earth just to explode into a million pieces. That's great because I'm gonna have a lot of fun questioning you about cellophane s's and memory wiping kisses in the next movie. So, yeah, I'm probably gonna have problems with that too. Yeah. Um, I'm honestly, I'm not big on the teenage Clark Kent on Jeff East. I think he's pretty fucking awkward. His performance does, is nowhere near as good as Chris Reeves's. They, they dub him with Chris Reeves' voice, too, so it's yeah. it's even doubly awkward. So, like, that's a little it's weird. A, I think he looks the part. He looks it's okay. A, it's a super bad wig. Yeah, it is a terrible wig. <laughs> now, is he the kid who plays Superboy in the show? Because he looks just like he the guy does, who plays Superboy in the show. I don't think it's him, but it looks a lot like him. Either way. Because by the time they made the show, that guy would be, like, 57 years old or whatever. Because this movie was made in 1978. So, yeah. Fair enough. But, yeah. And then the other one that that really just doesn't hold up to scrutiny this many years later is Lois's little like internal monologue and like little poem that she does to herself while they're flying. 
So, so that was originally going to be like a music break. Like those yeah. lyrics were yeah. to be a song that Margot Kidder was going to sing. And when they did it in studio, I don't know if that's better or worse. When, well, when they did it in studio, it, Richard Donner was like, "No, this isn't going to work." So they just turned it into like a spoken word monologue because that was supposed to be like you know this was the time where like every movie has to have like the hit single that's you know going to yeah, be yeah, yeah. revenue stream for the the company that owns it. So they ended up mm-hmm. releasing that as a single, and like it charted pretty well, like just the spoken word version of it. But that they pictured that as being like you know the big like this is going to be our number one hit. This is going to be our best original <laughs> song nominee, and it, it just did not come together. So they were like, okay, she'll mm-hmm. just, it'll just be like an internal monologue now. Wow, yeah, it's yeah, it's know, it's painful. Yeah, yeah. You you can just like, and that that's kind of the thing for me is that like there are the moments where you can feel that like behind the scenes things were completely falling apart, and that oh, yeah. fired, <laughs> people were being people were quitting, and you can feel it even more in Superman too. But oh yeah, that, that the thing for me about this is like it's part one to a part two that we never actually got, and yeah, how like there are moments where like it's cobbled together at the last second, like the way that the last 30 minutes of this movie is like plot exposition. And then we actually like have a superhero movie and that like the spinning the world backwards part was supposed to be the climax of part two, but the director of part two didn't want to use it. So they had to shift it to part one. Like you can see like the behind the scenes drama kind of seeping in around the edges at points. And that's like that kind of disappointment. And, you know, like, Ultimately, I, it's not really a failing of this movie. It's a failing of part two and, you know, all the drama behind the scenes. But, like, the fact yeah. that we never got to see the actual, you know, at least not until they did that restored Donner cut. Donner cut, yeah. yeah the, so that's why it's, I think we're probably yeah. going to have to do separate Both. reviews of, yeah, of the yeah. theatrical cut and the Donner cut of Superman 2. Fair. I mean, the longer we can hold up to get to Superman 3, the better. <laughs> like... <laughs> That yeah. is, that's going to be, I'm going to be yelling by the end of that fucking episode, I bet. And if, I, and if I'm yelling at that one, Superman 4 is going to be a fucking nightmare. Poor Richard Pryor. They did him I, dirty. Oh, man. They did Chris Reeve dirty, basically, in the last two movies. So, <laughs> All right. So let's uh, close out with our final thoughts and a rating out of 10 for Superman 1978. Steven, what is your final thoughts and your rating out of 10? I mean, it's, you know, it's a classic for a reason. Like, it, it's the, the one that everybody goes back to, whether consciously or not, anytime they're making a movie in this, of this type, in this genre. You know, it's, it's the fundamental text of superhero films. And, like, for that alone, it's important. But it is also just, like, an incredibly fun, you know, open-hearted, delightful, warm, primary-colored movie. It's just, like, the... The 70s were the pinnacle of popcorn entertainment, and this is right up there with the pinnacle of, like, of that era. Yeah. You know, I had an absolute blast watching it. <laughs> so, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, probably, I'd say, like, an 8, just because of those moments where, like, okay, like, this this is clearly, like, beyond the control of anybody involved with this, like, the mm-hmm. actual finished project of this film. But when you can, like, without that knowledge, I, it's, you know, it, there, there's not a bad word that could be spoken about this movie. Yeah. Mark, how about you? Uh, this is going to shock you, at least, because I'm going to say 9 out of 10. Oh, wow. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, actually. Uh, I've seen this movie a million times. It's like, it's home, basically. It's one of those movies where, like, I ha- I don't rewatch it as often as, like, I'll go back and rewatch, like, The Dark Knight or Ghostbusters or Raiders or anything like that. But, like, I rewatching it this time, I was like, oh, yeah, I fucking love almost every second of this movie. And I did when I was a kid, and I still do al- almost 40 years old, so... <laughs> Yeah, I love this movie. Nine out of ten. 
Nice. The rest of these movies are gonna. It's it's. This is the slipperiest slope. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's where you started when you were like, "Hey, we're gonna start doing Superman movies." I was like, "Oh, great, we start real high and it just goes <laughs> real wrong, real fast, and it never really like it never hits this level again." You know what I mean? Like this is the maybe, absolute. Maybe that's why we got to do the animated. Yeah, because this is the best they've ever done Superman. Like you can argue about the Batman movies a lot more. You know what I mean? Like people yeah. love the Tim Burton movies and like obviously the dark Knight and like the Nolan stuff. Um, people love Affleck. I'm an Affleck fan as Batman. I wish I'd be gotten that solo movie. Mm-hmm. I'm on board for Robert Pattinson. You know what I mean? There's other Batman movies after 89 that are good and well-regarded. There's not a ton of Superman movies after the second one where they're like, this is hundred percent a great movie. And none of them are, anywhere near as good as this one in particular, like the first one. So Superman returns. <laughs> I, no, like I, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. I have not watched it in a long time. You have to come back for that one. And like, we have to fight at this point, Steven, we've never, we've met in person once, but I, we were going to fight on a podcast about Superman I'm returns. All, all no, like I, I have gotten into Twitter fights before about the, the relative merits of Superman returns. And like, I, I will, I will go for that movie. I've seen you do that and resisted commenting <laughs> on a number of occasions. I've been following Steven on Twitter for ages. He's a great follow on Twitter. The guy that I follow who are like, Superman Returns, good movie, if you can get past the sex criminals involved. I mean, <laughs> you can get past the fact that they make Superman a sex criminal. Yeah. He's stalking Lois for like three quarters of the movie. We can get into that a later date, but no, I, I mean, <laughs> Brandon Routh is no Christopher Reeve, but I do enjoy that movie. Yeah, I mean, there's parts of that movie I like, obviously, but like we'll save it. For we'll get to Superman Returns. We'll get yeah, it. we'll we'll have that conversation when we watch that movie. So I fall right between you guys. Uh, eight and a half out of ten. This is an absolute classic. It, the influence that it has had on superhero movies, on pop culture in general, is completely undeniable. Age has not been kind to it in places. Yeah, uh, but it is just so earnest, and I love watching Christopher Reeve as Superman and Margot Kidder as Lois Lane so much. And this is where both of them are at their absolute peak. So uh, yeah, like eight and a half out of 10. I, I do love this movie. It isn't surprisingly one that I necessarily go back to quite as often, but it's again, it's probably just because there's been so much other superhero content past, you know, we've just been fucking deluged inundated with it for the past, like 10, 15 years at this point. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I watched this one uh, before. I mean, I think I watched the 4k when it got put out, but even that was kind of like a cursory, like I just want to look at it more than I'm going to sit here and watch it basically. And then before that, I can't remember the last time I sat and watched it. So it was nice. It's like sitting down and like paying attention to it. Uh Like it's still a good movie. Yeah, it was very much like reconnecting with an old friend kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a lot like that. So, like, oh, I'd forgotten good. some of the memories that we had together, but this is a nice, you know, nice reminder of some of them kind of thing. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. All right, we'll move on to our final segment, which is Geek Cred, where each of us just recommends something uh, that we enjoy that we think you might enjoy. So, Stephen, what do you want to give your Geek Cred to this week? Uh, pick up a Sabak deck and play me sometime. <laughs> is there is there virtual sabak somewhere can we play sabak online I, I need to look into that and see that that would make it a lot easier to play these days but um <laughs> no i mean like you know this is me being nine years behind the times but i finally got skyrim so i've been, i've been diving into that uh you know at, at long last and just having a great time you know i mean it's it's been remade and remastered for like six or seven different consoles now at this point for a reason and it's fantastic. Like, I, I love open-world RPGs. I love character building. I love crafting weapons and armor. I love fantasy stuff. Like, I love 
tomb raiding, which is essentially what a big part of this game is. And like, it's I've been having a blast with it. So uh, I'm very, very late to this party. But uh, Skyrim, a good video game. <laughs> Steven, did you ever play Lord of the Rings online? Because I did not. I mean, and that was yeah. because like, I knew that it would overtake my entire life. Yeah, and like, it, it was just there are some of those things that like i i know i would love and i put off for so so long like i didn't watch doctor who for years because i was like i will love this show a little bit too much and i really <laughs> can't afford that time suck right now and then eventually i did now you know it's fantastic so i need to get into lord of the rings online at one of one of these days and i've i've like meant to do it several times now but i'm going to take that plunge here sooner or later yeah when you do let us know so we can be on the same server and we can quest together and stuff. yeah for sure mark what's your uh, geek cred <laughs> Um, I've been catching up to Jason Aaron's run on Thor. He did that long run where he introduced Jane, Thos- Jane Foster as having cancer and like gave her the hammer and Jane, stuff like Jane that. Jane Foster? Jane Foster? Jane Foster? Whatever. <laughs> that over there, sir? Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, like Natalie Portman, like not a bad looking <laughs> girl or anything. But yeah, it's the, the, the that's the run where she gets, she becomes Thor, basically. Jane Foster like, does. Yeah, Thor Love yeah. and Thunder will probably be at least somewhat based on. There's going to be some stuff from Love and Thunder that I assume they'll be pulling from the Jason Aaron run. I just wanted to read it. I like Jason Aaron's writing a lot. He did some work on Wolverine uh, a couple years ago and Punisher that were both excellent. And uh, this run on Thor came highly, highly recommended to me like multiple times. And I'm not always like a huge Thor reader. Great. You're not really. Yeah, I'm not a big cosmic cosmic guy. But like if somebody like really pushes it on me and like a writer like Jason Aaron, who does really good fucking quality work over at Marvel gets a chance to write it and kind of do what he basically got a chance to just like take Thor and do whatever he wanted with it for a couple of years. And it really shows. And I'm about halfway through the run. Uh, I've got two volumes left to read like trades basically. And I highly recommend if you haven't already and you like Thor, go catch up. Cause it's like, it's a really fucking good run of comics um, that I wasn't expecting to like as much as I do. Cause like Tim said, usually cosmic and like Thor stuff doesn't resonate with me super like big time, but this one did for some reason. So I've had that on my list for a while, his Thor run, because I enjoyed his stuff that he did with Wolverine and Wolverine in the yeah. and I enjoyed his run on Darth Vader and uh, Star Wars. Oh, that's right, yeah. And those. So that that has been on that has been on my read list for a while now, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get to it eventually once I'm all ca- caught up with my Star Wars backlog on Marvel yeah. Unlimited. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it should be getting to the point where it's all there because I think all the trades are out now. But yeah, like, uh, Marvel Unlimited is usually like six months behind. Six months. So yeah, six I, months. Should be, I think that the whole thing should be there by now. Yeah. I don't know. There's great art by uh, Russell Dodderman. It's kind of the main artist on it. But like Steve Epting's in there and uh, Oliver Coypel has a couple pages here and there. And like just I love Oliver Coypel. Uh, his stuff's fantastic. But Russell Dodderman is kind of does the bulk of the pencils. Mm-hmm. And he is uh, I'm hoping he gets to do something big like an event or something soon because his fucking pencils in this series are just like blowing my goddamn mind so yeah um thor go read jason aaron's thor excellent all right uh my guinea cred this week i finally got around to watching uh oceans eight the female driven extension of the oceans movies with sandra bullock and anne hathaway and Kate blanchett and aquafina mm. and fucking bunch of other people and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. It was a fun little heist movie. It, it poked fun at itself in a lot of places. It di- didn't take itself too seriously. And I just have a real soft spot for a fun fucking heist movie. And this was exactly that. So 
I have, a, I have a real soft spot for Anne Hathaway and pencil skirts. So like that, that movie too. really worked for me. Yeah, like too. really fucking worked for me. Yeah. So yeah. It was actually like Helena Hel- Bottom Carter was really fucking fun in it yeah, too. Like, she's good. At, yeah. yeah. Actually, everybody was pretty good. And I liked Ocean's yeah. 8 a, a lot. And like, I, I only like mentioned the Anne Hathaway thing. Cause like, obviously I'm in love with her, but like also <laughs> she's surprisingly good in that. Like she's almost playing to like, she's playing against type. Yeah, no, she's totally. Yeah. Just poking fun at, at her public persona. Yeah. Like, she's right? totally like ripping on her own public yeah. persona, which is like one of those things i love when people do she's playing like the way that people see her like in the yeah media, which which is it's very enjoyable to see her kind of be like all right like if you this is what you want for me i can give this to you yeah and yeah, she's like a lampshade on that yeah she's so watchable for me so like yeah i had a good time with her in that movie specifically yeah. so yeah yeah i'm glad you finally fucking watch it you've been going on about that movie for like <laughs> it is it's one of those ones that i've been meaning to watch Tim's constantly going on about the oceans movies and i'm like hey did you watch oceans eight nope i was like it's like radio. This is like Moonshape Pearl or what is it? Yeah, Moonshape Pool all over again. We're like, it's been out for three years and Tim's like, I still haven't listened to Moonshape Pool. I'm like, that came out 2016. We are, we have a new president now. And you haven't listened to that album yet. Either I way. I did. I did listen I know. to Moonshape Pool. It took almost the whole fucking term like though. <laughs> yeah. So. There you go. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, with that, we can finish off this episode. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you have your own opinions on Superman 1978 or have stories or memories about it, you can share them with us on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash dance robot dance. If you like to get us on Twitter, it's at DRD underscore podcast. You can email us at dance robot dance podcast at gmail.com. And if you're not already subscribed to our podcast, you can do so on Stitcher, Spotify, Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, and anywhere that podcasts can be found. So with that, we'll say good night. Say good night, Stephen, and let us let our listeners know where they can find you. Good night, Stephen. If they want to find me, I'm on Twitter at ask underscore Stephen. All right. Do you have anything right now that you're working on that you want to tell people about? Or uh, I'm I'm probably going to be popping up on a couple of podcasts here in the near future. So uh, watch this space. But uh, other than that, like no, just just playing sabak against myself mostly. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, say good night, Mark. You will bow before me, Jarrell. <laughs> no, that like that. Yeah, no, no, because he says something about like you and your heirs. Yeah, you it sounds like he's saying. It sounds like he's saying you and your ass for a second there. I was like, all right, I'm on board, Terrence Stamp. It's a horny movie. Horny movie. It very uh, much is a horny movie. Terrence Stamp and his flowy, flowy shirt. Oh man, that that shirt, like all of them, it's like <laughs> everybody's nipples are showing off. It's fantastic. Can't wait to watch this next movie. It's nipples everywhere. It really is. All right, this is Tim. We're saying good night, Miss Tess Walker. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>